This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Something about being awake at this time. Maybe you're awake because you're working. Maybe you're awake because you're driving home from somewhere. Maybe you're awake because you can't sleep. Maybe you're awake because you got up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Whatever the case may be. If you're listening live right now, as opposed to not listening dead, but listening on the podcast... There's something so special about those of us that are awake at this time. There really is. We really are a fraternity of night people. I really do feel a kinship with everybody that is nocturnal or that just finds themselves awake at this hour, either on a once in a while basis or on a regular basis. I mentioned that uh, not only because it's true, but because if you agree with me, then what you should be doing is listening to this show every single day, even if you're not necessarily interested in what I'm talking about on any given day. But yesterday it was a foot Sunday in the middle of football season, some very exciting NFL games. I don't really follow college football, but it is exciting to watch what's happening with respect to college football and the whole story about Deion Sanders. And I'm sure there are other some other fascinating college football stories occurring right now. I'm just not hip to them. In the New York and New Jersey area, a lot of people were talking about the Jets playing the Giants. I think that was one of the more exciting games that I've seen either of those teams play in quite some time. Maybe the with the exception of when the Jets played the Eagles two weeks ago. But... I mean, that was just some game. Uh, it doesn't matter necessarily what happened. Obviously, the uh, the Jets won. But the Chiefs, they played the Broncos, and apparently the Chiefs cannot play when Taylor Swift is not at the games. But in any event, the element of legalized sports betting, particularly legalized mobile sports betting, electronic sports betting, where you're talking not about going to a casino or to an OTB and placing a sports bet. You can just place that sports bet right from your phone. It has brought in a ton of money to the state, one of the newest states to legalize it, New York. It brought in, so far, $727.4 million in tax revenue last year because New York and Rhode Island have some of the highest taxes in the country on uh, what you what they charge these, uh, you know, these, these sports betting companies. It's oh, it's 51 percent. You come in comparison. New Jersey is 13 percent. Ohio is 10 percent. Pennsylvania is 36%. Connecticut is 13.7%. So 
Rhode Island, New Hampshire, and New York are the highest in the country at 51%. So you might think, okay, this is great. This is great that new people are getting to bet on sports legally. They don't have to go to some gangster. They don't have to go to a bookie. And they're able to place a bet that they would probably place anyway. And we're not wasting resources trying to arrest all these people placing illegal bets or all these bookies taking illegal bets. There's some semblance of regulation that folks are, you know, they're going to, if they win, they're going to get paid. They're not going to have somebody skip town. But there's also been a tremendous uptick, and this was entirely predictable. There has been a tremendous uptick in problem gambling. There has been a huge increase of calls to the gambling addiction hotline, something along the lines of 26, 27 percent. It's almost 30 percent. But I also wonder, there's a lot of concern from a lot of activists and others about what about the people that aren't calling the hotline? And there's a lot of concern that with the ease of legalized sports gambling, This is creating a whole new generation of young gambling addicts. Now, look, I want to be very clear. I'm a a gambler. I do not do this electronic gambling, honestly, because I'm afraid that I would get carried away. I like to go to a casino, bring exactly how much money I am prepared to lose, and play with that money. And if I win, great. If I lose, Well, it's not great, but you could deal with it. I just get concerned when it's so easy to move money around and just click a few digits and you're betting 100 bucks here, 100 bucks there. Very soon, I could see that getting carried away. So I just would just as soon not do it. And when I go to gamble, I like the whole experience. It's not just making money or placing a bet. It's, uh, you know, it's trying to, it's it's going, having a drink. It's, uh, you know, hanging out. I like the whole vibe. In, in casinos. So this is not for me, but I recognize it is for a lot of people. And I'm trying to wrestle with this because on the one hand, I certainly don't think sports gambling should be illegal. People do want to do this. They want to. I'm in a football pool. I mean, it's it's a couple of bucks. It's almost nothing. I'm in a football pool and it is kind of fun to see which teams you pick and how they do. And people want to gamble. Should they go to jail for gambling? Should somebody go to jail for taking their bets? No, of course they should. But how do you balance the fact that this is an activity that everybody wants to participate in, that people are going into presumably eyes wide open, with the fact that it's so easy for people, especially young people, to get hooked on this? Now, in New York, what they did, and I think other states have done something similar, they decided to make a portion of revenues from mobile sports betting earmarked for problem gambling services. The law requires 1%. That's about $1.6 million of the tax on mobile sports betting revenues to be set aside for these services. You know, that was last year. So for each successive state fiscal year, problem gambling services will receive $6 million from those revenues. So spending on problem gambling services is increasing, but is it keeping pace with the rate that people have problem gambling? You know, the state controller in New York, Tom DiNapoli, 
he noted that these apps that allow for gambling on mobile devices mean an increased need to address the issue of problem gambling. And and that's what I wonder. Sure, it's great for the state. They're bringing in a lot of money. But is this great for the people that live in this state? I'm not so sure. I mean, if the state is bringing in all this money, that money's coming from somewhere. This money is coming from people, presumably people that aren't exactly wealthy, that may not even have the the money to bet with. You know, I I think of the lottery, right? And, And I think the lottery is great, brings in some money for the state and for the school system. And if people want to play the lottery, wonderful. You know, you're probably not going to win, but a dollar and a dream, it's fun. I play lotto once in a while. But you cannot buy a lottery ticket, at least in New York, and I think this is true elsewhere. You can't buy a lottery ticket with a credit card because they don't want you, you know, putting $2,000, $3,000 that you don't have on your credit card in order to gamble, which is, let's face it, that's what lottery is, that's what uh, quick draw is, that's what all this is. And I just wonder if maybe the ease of this mobile electronic sports betting is something that we need to pump the brakes on. You know, I was thinking of the cigarettes, uh, the cigarette vending machines. Smoking is still legal, although it's getting closer and closer to becoming illegal by the day. But smoking tobacco is still a legal thing. But the cigarette vending machines, which used to be everywhere, bars, restaurants, you very rarely see them anymore because the thought was it would be easy for children to access them. So rather than talk about making sports gambling illegal again, I really wonder if we should take a step back. Now, it doesn't matter what I think because it's never going to happen. Anything that brings in $700 million for any state, they're not going to do anything to change it. Well, the only thing they would do to change it is make it so that they can take in more money. But the fact that New York and other states are in such a hole financially and they are raking in this dough thanks to mobile sports betting, it's never going to change. But I kind of think it should. I'm curious as to your view. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. A couple of people exiting the presidential race. Uh, Perry Johnson, who was on this show about two months ago, or maybe a month and a half ago, he has exited the presidential race. He has endorsed President Trump. Larry Elder, great talk show host, friend of mine for a long time, regular guest on this show. He has exited the presidential race. He has endorsed Donald Trump. And um, I know what you're saying. Well, I guess the message is don't go on Frank's show. The only people that go on your your show are the ones that drop out. Well, it was not just the folks that go on my show. Uh, Former Vice President Mike Pence made the announcement that he is dropping out. Last June, I announced my intention to seek the Republican nomination for president of the United States. Because I believe this country is in a lot of trouble. I was raised to believe that to whom much is given, much will be required. And with everything our country is facing, I just couldn't sit this one out. But the Bible tells us that there's a time for every purpose under heaven. I'm traveling across the country over the past six months, 
I came here to say it's become clear to me. This is not my time. So after much prayer and deliberation, I have decided to suspend my campaign for president effective today. I, I mean, wait, now I'm leaving these people shocked. I mean, the guy, again, nothing against Mike Pence, but he's not polling above single digits anywhere, not nationally or in any single state. He's not in the top five in any poll. He's having a difficult time raising money. And yet, I mean, they're acting as if they're shocked. Oh, my goodness. How could he drop out? I mean, they're acting like he was on his way to the White House. This is it's not quite the same because I was never vice president. But this is almost the reaction that I mean, if I dropped out of the presidential race, I would expect the same reaction as Mike Pence dropping out. Campaign for president effective today. Now, I'm leaving this campaign, but let me promise you, I will never leave the fight for conservative values and I will never stop fighting to elect principled Republican leaders to every office in the land. So help me God. You know, it's funny. Mike Pence is one of those people. I believe Mike Pence is a good man, and I believe he's a smart man. He is one of those guys that, had he not run with Trump, I would never vote for. I don't uh, agree with him on uh, on a lot of where he is on domestic policy. I don't agree with him, for the most part, where he is on trade. I don't agree with him where he is on foreign policy. But I, I think he's a good person. Honestly, I really do. I think he's honest. I think he's intelligent. I, I think that counts for a lot. But I would never vote for him. I mean, I think a lot of ways he's kind of your typical neocon. And, and then kind of a social conservative in other areas that I think go a little bit too far. But it's just so funny about where the GOP is today. Because in any other era... You put Mike Pence's resume up there, vice president, governor, congressman, stellar conservative record, uh, bona fides in the evangelical Christian community like you wouldn't believe. And he would be he would be a force to be reckoned with, especially with nationwide name recognition. And it's funny, back in 2016, you remember why. Trump picked Mike Pence. He picked Mike Pence because he felt, rightly so, that Mike Pence would help him with evangelicals and social conservatives, and he did. But whereas six, seven years ago, Trump was picking Pence because Pence was going to help Trump, now the only thing that Republican primary voters seem to be concerned about is, at least 65% of them, is are you sufficiently pro-Trump? And in the eyes of a lot of people, Pence is not. So I don't know, you know, Pence is relatively young. I could certainly see a scenario where he has a second act along the line. We'll see. 800-848-9222, Three open lines if you want to comment. I had hoped, and uh, some of you that follow me on social media might have seen this, I had hoped uh, in about 10 minutes to talk with the legendary actor and singer Robert Davi, but he kind of bailed on us last minute. He said that, uh, and, I, you know, I don't bl- blame him. He's a performer, and he gets paid to perform 
and he said that he has, is uh, coughing a lot and has bronchitis and his uh, voice is hoarse as heck. And he's got a show on Thursday night and he needs vocal rest. Couldn't even rehearse tonight. So he bailed on us. I mean, I wasn't going to ask him to sing, but I, I totally get it. You know, when you when you make your living using your voice, and you want to save it however you can. Although I wonder if people will accept that as an excuse for me. You know, I can't talk to you on the phone in perpetuity because I'm conserving my voice. I can't go do this because I'm conserving my voice. I'm going to I'm going to use that going forward. So uh, I am looking forward to big shout out, by the way, to our listeners listening on KMOX in St. Louis, a great radio station. We're going to talk with one of uh, St. Louis own in our third hour. We're going to talk with a gentleman who we had tried to talk to last week, but he, he was confused on the time zone. Bobby Bostick, a writer who up until recently was in prison. He had served 27 years in prison. We'll tell you why. We'll tell you how he got out. We'll tell you what he's doing now that he is out. But first, I'd love to hear from you. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. If you do want to follow me on social media, by the way, you can go to Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. Or on the social media network formerly known as Twitter at Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Dave is in the Buckeye State of Ohio. Hello, Dave. Love your program. Thank you. That's problem, nice of you. Problem gambling. Very interesting. I was transferred uh, from Santa Ana, California to uh, Las Vegas uh, via work in 01. And then in 05, came to Ohio. So I was in North Vegas. I put my wife at a nice house up uh, out of the way. I had to drive 40 minutes into work, et cetera. I would leave, I would get into work at, you know, 5 a.m. When I would come home down the uh, 70 down there and turn the corner, there was the Palace Station right there. And they had a killer casino where you could go in and lay money on the horses, on the ponies. Yeah, I didn't know anything about ponies, but it didn't matter. I had a $100 bill, and that was it. $100 bill. I'd go in. And bet a uh, box or a bunch of uh, stuff. And, and if I won, I won. I'd take it. If I lost, when the hunter ran out, I'd leave. Problem gambling is a problem, but if you get your mind right and you just commit to a certain dollar amount, to me, it was $100. I said, that's it. Sometimes well, I'd Dave, with- again, that, that's kind of the, why I, I prefer casino gambling to this electronic gambling. So given what you said, Dave, given the ease of how easy it is to bet, I mean, if I wanted to, I could place a bet. I could set up an account on uh, DraftKings or FanDuel or I'm sure there are other like similar that. sites. And within a minute... I could have a bet placed on the Monday night football game tomorrow. I could bet 500 bucks. I could bet $50. What, um, what do we do to make sure that people don't necessarily go down this path of problem gambling that you describe? I, I am really against Internet gambling. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a definitely against it. I believe that you need to physically go to a facility There's horse tracks all over Ohio to go to. There's horse Mm. tracks all over New York to go to. 
You need to get up, get in a cab, get in a car, go down there, have a $100 bill, and that's it. Dave, uh, thank you for the call. I appreciate the nice compliment, too. You know, the other thing I'll say is uh, I mentioned all the revenue that these states are coming in. And look, if you live in a state like Nevada, where they're able to not have an income tax, in part because of all the money that they're bringing in from gambling and from other other sources that are related to gambling, you think that's great. Um, you know, I don't have to gamble. Nobody's forcing me to gamble. I wonder, with the $6 million or so that they're going to be spending on gambling treatment services, when these people, and I'm talking problem gamblers, and you know what? The fact of the matter is anybody can be a problem gambler. Anybody. Um, it doesn't matter. I, I left a friend of mine... Um, well, whatever. I don't want to share a personal anecdote. Now, I'll respect his privacy on that one. But anybody can be it. And the you wonder how many people, because of the ease of this electronic mobile sports betting, are betting themselves into poverty. And when that happens, how much do you think the state is spending on social services because this guy's poor now? <laughs> whether it's rental assistance, whether it's SNAP or food stamps, whether it's Medicaid, if somebody has no money left and their family is unable to support themselves, now obviously shame on them, but you wonder how much of a win it really is for the taxpayer. Now, don't get me wrong, with a 51% rate in states like New Hampshire, Rhode Island, and New York, it's still a win for them, but I just wonder if it's as good of a deal as the proponents who sold this to lawmakers are making it out to be. I, I you know, whenever I see these, and I, I thought the same thing with these three new casinos coming to the New York City area, but it could just as easily be a story in Baltimore or in Pennsylvania or in New Orleans or in Florida, wherever the case. And whenever I see these stories of the state legislature talking about more gambling, more gambling, more gambling, and how much money this is going to mean to the state. You know what I see? You ever watch those Bugs Bunny cartoons where the character gets very hungry and then they see the other person turning into a steak or a frankfurter because they're just blinded by hunger? I see when I hear a politician talk about gambling and the revenue it's going to mean for the state and what they can spend in terms of tax relief, what they can do in terms of education – I see a steak dinner, right? I see lavish party after lavish party, uh, lavish dinner after lavish dinner that lobbyists for gambling interests have taken those politicians out to. And uh, I just wonder how much of this is, you know, my old friend Curtis Lewa likes to use the phrase whining, dining, and pocket lining. I wonder how much of this is a result of aggressive lobbying and campaign contributions on the part of the gambling interests and how much is really for the benefit of the public. Uh, I'm not so sure it's a 50-50 equation, if you know what I mean. You know, you've heard me rail time and time again about the military-industrial complex, and, you know, I stand by, for the most part, everything I've said, all the stories we've analyzed, about these defense contractors who spend a ton of money donating to candidates federally, and donating to anybody that has any influence over defense policy or foreign policy, both in terms of lobbying and direct campaign contributions, I think it's the kind of the same way on a local level with gambling. 
I think you have this gambling industrial complex that is this iron triangle of big money, special interests, and legislation. 800-848-9222, you're naturally free to disagree. Now, again, I'm very conflicted because I like to gamble. Also, I don't, lo- I don't want to see gangsters get rich because they have very successful sports books. And I understand the mentality that people are going to gamble anyway. Why shouldn't they be able to do it legally? I think they should be able to do it legally. I'm not so sure. I think it might be just too easy to do it from your phone. Is that a well-thought-out position? No. Is it hypocritical? Probably. Am I going to start being like Andrew Cuomo where I answer and ask my own ask and answer my own questions? Why not? 800-848-9222. Ken is in New Jersey. Hi, Ken. Hello, Frank Marilla. Ken! I recognize yeah. this voice. Uh, this is uh, it's great to talk with you. Yeah, I wanted to uh, underline uh, what your previous caller from Ohio said that uh, if you set your limits, it's gambling is the same as any other form of entertainment. I have been an addicted sports gambler for well over thirty years and have managed never to play over my head. And Using the the random walk down Wall Street theory, I I would guess that my net picks are right at fifty fifty, which means I've lost three or four three or four percent of the total money I've bet, right? And uh, that's my my entertainment budget. I cannot watch a a Chiefs versus Broncos game unless I've got some money on it, and then all of a sudden it becomes the thing that that most interests me for an evening. So so I favor it. So where do you come down on the issue of mobile sports betting with uh, what uh, Tom DiNapoli and others are saying about the uptick in problem gambling calls? Do you think um, mobile sports betting should be viewed any differently than just conventional legalized sports betting? No, I don't. I think if you've got an addictive personality, you're going to find uh, somebody to take your money no matter what. I, I strongly recommend the original version of the movie The Gambler, the the uh, James Kahn one, not the Mark Wahlberg one, um, where you can really just see that it is as powerful an addiction as, as any any drug or alcohol that's ever been. Um, I did like the point that you made uh, while I was waiting to come on the air, that you kind of privatize the, the gains of these companies and, and socialize the losses when these uh, people who've gone broke, you know, then go on all kinds of different uh, welfare. But that that's a problem above my pay grade. Yeah, you, you and me both, Ken. And if uh, you're a lot smarter than I am, and if you can't figure it out, I, I suspect I won't be able to either. Ken, it's great to hear from you. Thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222. There you go. Uh, the, you know, uh, I don't know what the solution is. 800-848-9222. Uh, oh, let me also, just b- before we uh, move on from the presidential race there is a new entrant into the presidential race and you know how i always caution you that um you should not make any bets based on my predictions of football picks even though i ostensibly know a little something about politics i am almost always wrong when it comes to presidential or when it comes to political prognostication so don't take any of my predictions for what it's worth. However, Dean Phillips has announced his candidacy for president. And when I told some of my friends and family that over the weekend, they all did a collective owl impression. They all said, who? 
Who? Who's Dean Phillips? Dean Phillips is not exactly well-known, but uh, he's in his early 50s. I think he's 54. He's pretty wealthy. He's not a billionaire, but he's got he's got enough money to kind of float the early stages of a presidential campaign. And what's interesting about him is the guy loves Joe Biden, loves Biden um, on policy, likes a lot of the things that Biden is doing. His whole rationale about why he's running is no one else is running and Biden can't win. And he's not saying this directly, but he's saying he's too old. We need a fresh face, not someone as old as as Biden. And it's funny. My sister, she's Democrat. She said to me a month or two ago, she was saying, why can't someone who's not 80 run as a Democrat? She said, I want to vote for a Democrat, but I don't want to vote for Biden. And I said, well, it's funny. Dean Phillips has been making, Congressman Dean Phillips has been making that same point. And he's been saying that there should be somebody, a next generation of leadership to come. Biden should take his victory lap and move on. And Claudia said, well, uh, why doesn't that guy run? I know nothing about him, but if that's what he's saying, I'm for that. I, I would vote for him. And Bill Maher on, I think, Friday's show, and he's Democrat a little bit more of the independent stripe, though, he said essentially the same thing. So I, my prediction is this. I don't think that Dean Phillips will win the nomination, but I think Dean Phillips will do one of two things. I think he's either going to do much better than people expect, or uh, he will pick up so much momentum that Biden will either not be able to continue and do an LBJ or someone else that's a mainstream Democratic alternative to Biden will emerge. Here's a little bit of Dean Phillips making his announcement in New Hampshire. We will lead America back to its rightful and righteous place, both here at home and abroad. And we, the new generation... We will rise not through war, but through peace. And not just here, but throughout the entire world. These, these are the issues of the 2024 presidential election in the United States. And let me tell you, America, I am ready to get to work. It's going to be very interesting to see where this goes. I, um, I I like that uh, Dean Phillips was very involved in the gelato business. I enjoy gelato. And uh, if he, you know, if he runs on a platform of not a chicken in every pot, but gelato in every freezer, he's going to get some votes. You know what's interesting about him? He is banking it all on New Hampshire. He missed the deadline to get on the ballot in Nevada, which is one of the early primaries. But what's interesting is that Joe Biden is not on the ballot in New Hampshire. He's not on the ballot for the New Hampshire Democratic primary. So Dean Phillips has the Granite State, the first in the nation primary. Well, historically, it's been this year the Democrats changed it a bit. He has that state all to himself. Biden's going to compete first in South Carolina. So I think what Phillips is hoping is that he can pull a rabbit on out of a hat and win with no one else on the ballot. And that'll give him a little bit of momentum into South Carolina and some of these other states. I'll tell you, it is not the worst strategy that I've ever heard. And uh, ultimately, if Dean Phillips loses, if he falls flat on his face, 
He's still a multimillionaire. So life's not going to be too bad for him anyway. All right. Uh, let me hear your calls on any subject. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Take the money and run. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on this show, join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and uh, type Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O, Radio Fans and Haters. We want to welcome our newest listeners on Florida Man Radio in Fort Walton Beach. Honored to be on in the state of Florida. I have several neighbors that are in the state of Florida now. I reached out to them and asked them if they needed me to uh, grab their newspapers while they were away. They said, no, Frank, you were the only person on the block that still gets actual newspapers. We don't need you to do that. So there's that. Um, I had quite an eventful weekend. Beautiful weather on Saturday. And uh, it's just as well because we had this softball tournament to benefit the children's specialized high school. They call it Lightning Wheel. And it's basically uh, children that might need wheelchairs or or things of that nature. And I don't mind telling you that we walked away from this tournament after playing all day on Saturday. We walked away from this tournament. We called our team the Broadcast ballers. I don't mind telling you, we walked away from this tournament with a trophy. That's right. Not a first place trophy. Not a first place trophy. Uh, Well, okay, it's not even really a second place trophy. We did, though, manage to walk away with a seventh place trophy. 
So that would sound impressive if there were more than seven teams. So we finished seventh <laughs> out of seven. This is not a it was not a not a great performance, I must say. Um we actually managed to win zero games and play four. Now, statistically, you think you're going to win one by accident, right? You're going to you're going to come up against somebody, uh, the other team who has a pitcher that's on drugs or something that you, maybe they'll forfeit. Uh, no, no, that we managed to lose all four games. Two of them wow. are close. Two of them are close. One was very close. Came down to the very last at bat, but and we were leading most of the game, but we blew it. You know, uh, this was a tournament that had been postponed. Three times due to rain, and we got beautiful weather on uh, on Saturday. Here was part of the problem: is I was sure that not a lot of people we weren't going to have enough players. I was sure because people are so unreliable; they bail or they confirm last minute or they don't confirm. So a lot of times people would say, all right, you need me to bring somebody. You need me to bring somebody. And I kind of overbooked the roster. So we had in all about for the first two games, we had 15 players. And for the second two games, we had 14. Actually, for the last game, we only had 12, which was which was better. But there are only 10 position players in softball. And then everybody can bat. But there's only 10 position players in softball. So my wife said to me the day before. She said, you really you ha- have to play everybody that shows up. And I was going to do that anyway. But what happens is some of the players are not as good, obviously, as the other players. So you make an effort to get them in the game. And these errors in the field become very, very costly. I mean, honestly, and I'm not blaming anybody because everybody... It was, it was a fun day, and I think everybody on our team had fun. We had three great players, I was not one, who they didn't make any mistakes the entire game. Not a single one. Um, I was very solid defensively. Didn't make, uh, you know, uh, anything hit, I played first base. Anything hit to my corner of the world was just done. Didn't drop anything. It was was great. I could not hit for a lick. I mean, I I didn't hit anything better than a single. And the hits that I did get were just awful hits. You know what it was? First of all, it was a wood bat league and or wood bat tournament. It was this arc pitching. And I'm honestly not used to playing with an arc where you, rather than just deliver the ball on a straight line directly to the plate, it's you have to deliver it in an arc between 6 and 12 feet above the ground. So it, the ball is really coming at you. I'm not making excuses because if you're a good hitter, you could just, you're a good hitter, and I was not a good hitter. But um, I, so I was disappointed in my hitting performance, and I was disappointed we didn't win any games. But what I will say is that um, if there were maybe six or seven routine fly balls, that players dropped in the outfield. And and in some cases, they actually hit their gloves. 
And um, and I realize it's easy. It's not the critic who counts, but the man in the arena. I realize it's a lot easier when you're watching someone else catch a fly ball to say, hey, how come you didn't catch that? That being said, a lot of these should have been caught. A lot of these balls should have been caught. Had these routine fly balls been caught, this we would have been two and two. We were better, I think, for the most part, than two of the teams that, that beat us. But these errors were at just the worst possible time. Or if my cousin Jessica, who attended college on a softball scholarship, had she not had to work and had she played, I think that would have been a, a game changer because we could have totally realigned the uh, the defense. But it was it was it was a fun tournament nonetheless. It was great to meet some of the people from the hospital. Uh, Darren, who organizes this tournament, did a great job. This is the twenty seventh year they've they've done it. I got to meet some of the children that were that have been treated at this hospital. I put up a couple of pictures at uh, facebook.com slash Morano fans. So if you want to take a look, you can, including a nice picture that uh, Paul Sarian took of the whole team. So you could see the bunch of jabronis that were 0 and 4. But we had a lot of heart. My friend Dan Fratalone, I think in the first inning, was sliding into home plate. And he got the same nose injury that I got when I walked into a glass door. And uh, he he really, really gave his all. Probably the oldest player on the field. And I'll tell you, hustled harder than anybody out there. I wouldn't say he played better than anybody out there, but it was uh, it was a fun game nonetheless. You could see the photos at uh, Facebook.com slash MoranoFan, Facebook.com slash Morano fan. All right. Uh, Dave is in Las Vegas. He has been patiently holding. Hi, Dave. Hello. Uh, Frank, in the old days, it was pretty easy to fix something, uh, boxing, because you had a boxer in a small ring of people around him. And today they're paying the athletes way too much money that you really can't spread the money around. So what the, uh, I'm going to say, what the fixes look for is the uh, weak link, uh, whether it be a relative that's, uh, behind as far as payments and stuff like that. And they might tell the uh, big athlete just for one game, whether it be, you know, a Cleveland-Kansas City game or whatever, you know, let's not get any hits tonight. And, you know, it, it might change the tide. But when you were, you were bringing up the fact um, as far as gambling it, it, at the stadiums, um, those little digital things in the armrests where you can order pretzels, hot dogs, and whatever, and somebody brings it to you, those are all already set up for gambling. And those gambling, that gambling is done play-by-play play sometimes, if you want. You can bet pitch-by-pitch. Pitch. And, the, you know, you, you would say, well, how do they separate, you know, that from the, you know, the regular crowd? They're going to have sections where it's just for gambling. And that's called the game within the game because you're with a whole bunch of other gamblers. And you're having a grand time. Oh, I know. The, the league loves this, Dave. I mean, they, they it's keeping interest in the season much later for a lot of fans, and it's keeping fans watching games and going to games, even if they're not necessarily fans of the team. No, exactly. And like I said, you they look for the weakest link and just say as a relative that's uh, behind on his money. You know, what you've got to do, again, in a professional game, uh, obviously baseball, maybe football, is just to have that player lay down for one game. Oh, I know. Yeah, and let the let the bad guys make their money. Yeah, that was precisely the rationale that the professional sports teams, especially the NFL, used for keeping a team, a professional sports team, 
out of Las Vegas. They said it was going to be too prone to be fixed. And uh, ultimately, they got over that and looked at the gambling as a money-making opportunity for the league and doing the same thing that the local governments are doing. All right, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at midnight with Frank Morano. Everybody wants to rule the world. Uh, This is a birthday bumper music selection from uh, an old friend of mine uh, from years ago by the name of David Spark, who is uh, a very interesting guy. Uh, He used to have this company, Spark Media Solutions, and I started booking him as a guest on a bunch of shows as a technology expert. Now he's got this whole media empire now all focused on cybersecurity. They do five shows a week and drop eight to ten episodes every week. It's, um, you know, it's supposed to be, I haven't seen it yet, but it's supposed to be pretty good. Check it out if you want it. Uh, CISOseries.com. But it's David Spark's birthday today, so happy birthday, David Spark. 800-848-9222. You know what I just saw, uh, Matt Blaze? I don't know if you were hip to this at all. Rick Flair was on AEW Wrestling on Wednesday? Yes. You I were did, aware of that? I did hear about this. I didn't see it, but I did hear about it. But I, you didn't think that, that it would be interesting to mention that to me? I mean, you didn't think... I, I, I don't remember when I saw it. I, I And I think... Because Sting announced his retirement. Oh, he did? All right. Well, yeah, he was out there with Sting, this, this thing, the pictures that I saw right. had the two of them out there. And obviously the two of them have quite a history uh, together. So there's a hey, um, we are we've talked a lot before about St. Louis and how they eat their bagels. 
they and you guys, if you're in St. Louis, you guys are into the bread slicing of the bagels as opposed to the horizontal slicing of the bagels. They cut the bagels like you would cut a loaf of bread, which a lot of people find a little bizarre. And sometimes people, the the way that this first became a thing was about six or seven years ago. Someone was in New York and they ordered a bagel bread sliced. Now, I like bagels. I try not to eat them because they're not good for you. It's essentially a, a collection of empty calories that you put on a topping of more empty calories. So it's a collection of, again, depending on what kind of bagel, what kind of topping, a collection of sugar and fat. So if you could do away with and I so I try to limit my bagel consumption whenever possible, but I love a good bagel. On the occasion that I do get a bagel, I will get it, I like to get it scooped. I like to scoop, or sometimes I'll scoop out the inside myself. So presumably you're getting less dough. Makes me feel better about eating a bagel. I feel like I'm making a healthier, carb-conscious choice, and then I can fill that new empty hole in the bagel with butter or cream cheese. Well, this is quite a controversy because there's an L.A. resident and clothing brand founder by the name of Taylor Offer who posted a video uh, to TikTok last week recounting his attempt to get a scooped bagel in New York City. There's nothing more stressful than ordering a bagel in New York City. I just went to a bagel shop here. I'm from Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, if you order a bagel, you walk in, you say, hey, can I get a scoop gluten-free bagel? The person behind the bar is usually like, of course, we have these different options today for gluten-free. Of course, I can do that for you. In New York, I just walked in and asked for a scoop gluten-free bagel. The guy just looks at me and goes, I'm not scooping your bagel, bro. It's like, dude, <laughs> that's how I want it. It's like, get the out of here with that All right. On to the next one, I guess. Let me tell you something. I always side with the New Yorker over a Los Angelino. I think this guy is absolutely right. If you want to order your bagel scooped, I think you've got every right to. And a lot of people who stumbled across this post, they were commenting. It was the first time they'd heard of a scooped bagel, a bagel hollowed out from the inside to leave just the outer shell. I like a good scooped bagel. I think it's absurd that that bagel store wouldn't give that guy a scooped bagel. What do you think? Meantime, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. A lot of you know who Justin Timberlake is. 
And, um, you know, there was a time when Justin Timberlake was known as being a, a child's entertainer. But honestly, he has been a star for at least two and a half decades now that I, I think he's not somebody that only appeals to young people anymore. He was part of uh, one of these boy band groups. I think it was uh, NSYNC. And then he had a, has had a very successful solo career as a musician. He did Sexy Back. He did Cry Me a River, My Love. A lot of very successful uh, solo songs that have been number one, number one, number one. And it's very difficult to do that, to have that kind of success as part of an ensemble, in this case NSYNC, and then duplicate and even expand upon that success as a solo artist. Now, what's even more difficult, and we've done whole shows on this, is making the transition of being a singer to being something else. And Justin Timberlake was able to make the transition while still being an incredibly popular singer. He was able to make the transition to being an actor. And I have to tell you, as objectively as possible, he is a very good actor. No, he's not a very good actor. The guy is a great actor. I mean, if you saw him in The Social Network, uh, uh, which was nominated for an Oscar, I think it may have won. Inside Lewin Davis, same thing, nominated for an Oscar. Um, Then uh, Black Snake Moan, he's phenomenal. Do you ever see Black Snake Moan? If you haven't seen Black Snake Moan, it is worth seeing for three reasons. One, Samuel L. Jackson's musical performance in that uh, in that film. Two, seeing the incredible job Christina Ricci does acting while chained to a radiator, which is just incredible. And then um, Justin Timberlake's acting is the third one. And it's a drama. It's a drama. He's great. Does drama, does comedy, did the Clint Eastwood movie, Trouble with the Curve. He's done a lot of movies I haven't seen, but those are the ones that most immediately come to mind. The guy is a great actor. And so then sometimes it's tough to make the transition from singer and actor to comedy. Lo and behold, the guy has hosted... Saturday Night Live more times than almost anybody. I think he's hosted at least seven times. And um, I think there's only maybe five people. I've kind of lost interest in Saturday Night Live years ago, but he has hosted at least five times. And there's very, very few people that are in that five-timers club. And the people that are are people like Steve Martin, um, you know, uh, people like uh, Tina Fey, usually people that are associated with the show in some way. So he's got a lot going on for him in entertainment. I think that's putting it mildly. One thing that I think a lot of people know is that for two years, he dated Britney Spears. Britney Spears has almost, she's still very famous for being a musician, But she's almost become more famous for 
not performing, but all the other drama surrounding her. She was in this conservatorship that her father had on her, and she apparently couldn't make any decisions. There was this whole Free Britney movement. Then she posts these rather bizarre videos on social media. Uh, sometimes she's totally naked. Other times she dances around with with knives, with cryptic captions. There was that time where she went on a rampage destroying cars with a golf club, I think it was, and she shaved her head. She married one of her childhood friends for 96 hours. You know, she's become famous for... I don't want to put. I don't want to be insulting because I, I like Britney Spears, and I think you know. I, I know I've known a lot of people like that, and it's tough to deal with issues like that, especially when you're in the public eye. But she's become famous for being a mess. She started out as being famous for being immensely talented, and for having some hit songs. Now she's famous for just being a wreck. So obviously, if there's one thing the publishing industry loves, it's books by people that are famous. If there's two things that the publishing industry loves, it's books by people that are famous who are a mess. But if there's a third thing that the publishing industry loves, it's books from people that are famous who are a mess that are a tell-all. And Britney Spears has got this new memoir that everybody is talking about. I, I I think uh, I said she dated uh, Justin Timberlake for two years. Apparently it was three years. So she's got this new book, which is either out already or it's poised to come out. It's already a bestseller. It's called The Woman in Me. And there are all sorts of uh, interesting things that she says in this book. I haven't read it, so I can't say with certitude. But there's one section of the book that's getting the most attention, and it has to do with what she is saying about Justin Timberlake. Again, they were coupled for about three years. Now, this was 20 years ago. And let's see, how old is Justin Timberlake? He is, uh, I think he's 43 or something. So he, this was when he's in his early 20s, late teens, early 20s. That's primarily when they were together. And I think he's 23. I'm going to look it up. But um, he... They were dating, and Britney Spears says in the book, yeah, he's 42. So we're talking about a time when he was 20, 21, and 22. He was a young man at the time that this relationship occurred. The guy is very popular, Justin Timberlake. In fact, Roger Stone, among others, called uh, Justin Timberlake years ago this generation's Frank Sinatra, and repeatedly said things like that. He's, uh, Roger Stone said of Justin Timberlake, as an entertainer, Justin Timberlake has learned from the past. He can cradle a mic, stand like Elvis Presley, move like Michael Jackson, and swoon like Frank Sinatra. And that's just musically. That doesn't even include him as an actor or him as a comic talent. So, Britney Spears says in this book, that one, when they were dating, she got pregnant. And Justin Timberlake strongly encouraged her to get an abortion and said he wasn't ready to be a father and got her, tried to get her to get an abortion, which she did. She said she got an abortion at uh, 
Justin Timberlake's urging. But it gets worse if you're Justin Timberlake. He apparently, according to Britney Spears, also cheated on her with another celebrity during their relationship. And then uh, also, and then came out with this music video where it made it look like Britney Spears had cheated on him. And that was what everybody thought 20 years ago. Well, so encouraged her to get an abortion, cheated on her. Again, this is only according to Britney Spears. And then broke up with her via a text message. So the combination of those three things has made Justin Timberlake a villain's villain. And I'm curious, given the incredible success that Justin Timberlake has had, I am curious what you think this does to his image. Does this get, because now you want to know how upset people are with him. He had to disable the comments on his Instagram, which I didn't even know you could do. It's good to know because of all the weird things that people comment on with me sometimes. He had to disable the comments on his Instagram because, according to him, people were saying such hateful, disgusting things. But once he did that, all the Britney Spears people that were angry with Justin Timberlake – They are now deluging his wife's Instagram page, Jessica Biel. They're deluging her page with all sorts of nasty things about Justin Timberlake. So clearly the guy is very much a villain at the moment. And sometimes you can see we've seen celebrities bounce back, right? They have certain scandals and they they bounce back. You know, obviously we learned of the passing of Matthew Perry. He's someone whose scandals were well documented, his battles with uh, addiction. And because I think he was open about it and how he handled it, I think people were really rooting for him. Other people, I don't know that you see them uh, bounce back. Certainly R. Kelly, I mean, he's not bouncing anywhere in a prison. But even before he went to prison, once those allegations started coming out about him, you didn't really have anybody that was rooting for him. Chris Brown, after it was, uh, we saw those pictures of him beating up Rihanna, I don't think popular culture and popular music ever really viewed Chris Brown the same way. Again, I, I, again, I really don't know. But I don't think he's had a hit song along the magnitude of the kind of hits that he had pre-beating up Rihanna. I, I, I'm speaking kind of from ignorance on that, so I don't know. But my question for you is this. Given what we're talking about here, what does this do to Justin Timberlake's career? If anything, maybe you say it does nothing. And maybe the broader question is at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. What should it do to Justin Timberlake's career? Again, I if I had to pick who I'm a fan of, both as a person and their music, Britney Spears or Justin Timberlake, I'm probably picking Britney Spears. Because I like that she's a little crazy. You know, it's funny. I was talking with my neighbors yesterday. And they were they were talking about this crazy person that I invited to a, a, re, a little makeshift party that I had last minute. And all these people are going on and on about how much they dislike this person. 
And I said, well, I like them. And my wife says, she, she sighs. She says, no, you don't like, you don't like that person. You like drama. You like, you like a scene. You like feeling like you're living in a reality show. You like that it's a mess. And I had to kind of plead guilty on that. I do have sort of a, a, a wicked streak in me along those lines. So I, I do kind of like Britney Spears because she is a bit of a mess. But I, we're talking about someone, Britney Spears, who has had a lot of issues with mental health. And I think if you look at these videos of her dancing around with knives, she may still have issues with mental health. This is someone who is giving her word against the word of an ex-boyfriend. Now, not that you would ever do something like this, but have you ever known someone, man or woman, that would say something about their ex that wasn't true in order to damage their reputation? I do. Have you ever known someone who would say something because their ex hurt them that this is their way to get back at them, that it's not, you know, saying something that's not true. And this is someone, Britney Spears, who is describing incidents that took place 24 years ago. And I have to tell you, this is an example of she said, and he's not really saying anything that I've heard anyway, but this is an example of one party saying something That is totally uncorroborated. We have no idea if this is true. We have no idea if this is exaggerated. We have no idea if this is made up whole cloth. I'm not saying it is, but we just don't know. There's no proof. There's no recordings. There's no text of the of the text message that he supposedly sent. And this is behavior that people were involved in when they were in their early 20s. I'm not sure about you. But my judgment is a lot different than when I was in my early 20s. And I would not want to be judged by my behavior in many different areas of life, not just male-female relations, but many different areas of life that I was carrying on when I was in my early 20s. And I really do think that even if he did all three of these things that Britney Spears is accusing him of, being unfaithful, encouraging her to get an abortion, and uh, breaking up with her via text message, I don't think he should have to... I don't think that should be reputational homicide. I mean, I know people have very strong feelings about abortion, and I don't want to really have an abortion discussion right now, but abortion at that time, in that place, was legal. This was a legal procedure. And if that occurred, which, again, we have no idea, I really think it's unfair to judge a 42-year-old man by his actions when he was 21. I mean, you barely have your head screwed on straight. As a normal person, I can't imagine what having the kind of fame that Justin Timberlake had and the kind of money... At a super young age, because it didn't even begin with NSYNC. I think um, both he and Britney Spears were involved in this Mickey Mouse Club. I can't imagine what being a performer at that young age, having access to that kind of money, that kind of fame, does to someone's head as you're still kind of trying to figure out adulthood. So I don't know about you, but I I kind of am willing to, I don't want to say give him a pass, but I don't think we should be killing this guy 
over the allegations that have come out in this book. What do you think? 800-848-9222-800-848-9222. Let me know what you think. I'd be be curious. Matt Blaze, do you have an opinion at all? I don't think this is going to do anything to Justin Timberlake's career. You don't think it'll hurt him at all? Not at all. Something that happened 20 years ago that she's just alleging that you can't even prove, even if it did, like you said, does it really matter now, 20 years later? And if he encouraged her to get an abortion, he he uh, he wasn't the one that gave her the abortion. She still agreed to it. She's trying to make it like she's trying to say now that, well, I wouldn't have done it alone, but at least she went to Justin Timberlake. If this is true, let's say we're assuming everything she said is true. That she went to Justin and said, I'm pregnant. And he said, well, we're kind of young. I think you should get an abortion. And who knows what the conversation was. But let's say she got an abortion because of that. So what? That happens every day. Being cheated on. That happens every day. Well, that's right. Right. So all of these things that she's talking and being uh, broken up via text happens every day. It's nothing that's so crazy. Now, if you found out that he cheated on his wife a year ago, that's a whole nother story. But 20 years ago from Britney Spears, and I don't, I honestly don't feel that she is now famous just for being crazy. I didn't say just for, I didn't say just for, I, I said. Primarily I, I, now I, known I, I said that she is, I, I think she gets most of her attention these days, not for her music, but for her off camera and off stage drama. Well, that's fair because she hasn't really put out. New music. That, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's what I'm saying. But her, I mean, she did do that Vegas show. She had a residency in Vegas that I did think very she well. May still have that. I yeah, think. yeah, that she, that did very well with the music, and I think she's still known for her music with this craziness that goes on besides her. And I, I always liked Britney Spears as a performer and Justin Timberlake. So I don't, I don't really think this is gonna. I think it's. It's going to sell her books. Well, uh, I think you're right be. about that. I, I hope you're right in that this doesn't hurt his career. But I think once you get to the point of needing to turn off your comments on Instagram because of this parade of haters, I think it. look, I don't think it's anywhere in the same category as Chris Brown beating up Rihanna or R. Kelly molesting young girls, not by a country mile. I do think this will hurt him, at least in the short term. I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't because I don't think people should be judged from their behavior 23 years ago. Next hour, we're going to talk to a man who was in prison for 27 years because of a crime that he committed when he was around 18. Should the rest of his life be defined by that? I don't think so. I don't think so. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Igor in New Jersey, still our listener of the week, the incumbent listener of the week. Hi, Igor. Absolutely. I appreciate that honor, Frank. Certainly. Hey, so, you know, if I were advising uh, Timberlake, first of all, again, nothing illegal. Can't really pass judgment on a man that age as well. But I think that her comments and anything she says will be discounted because of the perceived uh, notion that she's had some difficulties, perhaps some mental illness, and really how accurate would she even be, you know, quote, unquote, as a witness in a court of law? I think would be he- it'll be heavily discounted, and he's probably best just to not say anything. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's ever getting to a place of the court of law. I mean, I don't see him bringing a uh, a defamation suit or anything like that. But I'm just talking about the court of public opinion, which, as you know, can be far more, far less forgiving than the the court of law. So you think, uh, so where do you come down? Do you think this will damage his reputation? I think, I, I think like you, Frank, in the short term it will. I think it'll dissolve away because I think most people think that she's not of right mind. Interesting. Thank and you. That, Go ahead. Yes. Finish, your, finish your sentence. Oh, last thing I wanted to say, Frank, was about the bagel. Uh, if I could just say a word sure. on that. Go ahead. You know, maybe, uh, do you think that ought to go all the way up to Supreme Court? Do you think, you know, lack of, lack of service there? Not willing to serve him that bagel, do you think it'll turn into a court case? You know, I don't think it will turn into a court case, but I just, I don't understand. I realize people that are working, especially in Manhattan, in bagel stores are busy, and maybe you don't want to have to uh, add another, I mean, what does it take, 40 seconds to scoop out a bagel? I mean, it's, uh, it's very little effort. I, I, I understand yes. that they're busy, but come on. The guy's paying for it. You want to you want to charge him an extra fifty cents? Charge him an extra fifty cents. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Ed is in Westchester. Hi, Ed. Hey, Frank. How you doing? Uh, a couple of thoughts. First, I don't think that the Justin Timberlake will suffer any ill effects on what happened. I think they're they're both young, both in uh, uh, show business. And that probably just wasn't the right time. And it takes two to tango. It wasn't entirely his decision. Um, the other thing I wanted to uh, talk about was the mobile betting. Um, and I think the problem with the mobile betting is with kids. I, I own an event space which deals with mostly 13-year-old kids. These kids are getting on these mobile apps and betting all the time. And that's a huge issue because they're able to somehow circumvent and get on these apps and bet. So I think that's going to be a big issue. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly why I brought it up in, in saying that I think mobile, even if you support legalized sports betting, which I do, I think mobile electronic sports betting is different. I just think it has to be viewed differently for for several reasons. Thank you, Ed. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Johnny is in Sullivan. Hello, Johnny. Hello, Frank. How you doing? Um, this book issue, I just put the radio on because uh, I woke up and I had this thing about the Britney Spears book, uh, Bad Mouth and This Guy. I, uh, I like your point about what we were like when we were in our 20s, when I was that age full of testosterone. You can't judge a person the same way as the things they did back then. Um, my question is, why would a book like that even be a bestseller? Are people's lives that empty that they're going to rush and buy and read into this nonsense? Well, it has, it, it's because uh, it's because... It's gotten so much media attention and because she is so high profile that it's a, it's the same reason that Donald Trump was able to do so well in both the primaries and the general election in 2016, be, even though he spent less money than anybody. It's because of all the free media and free advertising he got. Now, just to give you an idea, Johnny, and Johnny, thanks for the call, just to give you an idea of how well this book is selling. This book became the best-selling celebrity memoir in history. Now, that's impressive, is it not? You think of all the celebrities that have written memoirs, this is the best-selling in history. Does that sound impressive? How about this one? It became the best-selling celebrity memoir in history 
on its first day of release. On its first day of release, it became the best-selling celebrity memoir of all time. That, And you're asking why? It's because I think some of these are issues that everybody can deal with, can relate to, can understand relationships and cheating and think, getting broken up with via text. Part of it is because she's offering a window into aspects of her life that she hasn't talked about before. Part of it just because she's so famous. And part of it is because of all the people she's talking about are famous. But um, I and I think part of it is the the fact that she is a little crazy. People wonder what makes her th- think uh, tick. There's an element of voyeurism there. 800-848-9222. Lisa's in Connecticut. Hi, Lisa. Hey. Um, yeah, I think you're you're on point with this whole thing. Um, you know, I I think that you know her past relationships and stuff. It's not going to affect Justin Timberlake. Everybody kind of knows what the situation is, and God bless them both. You know, just, like, turn the page and move on. You know what I mean? It's just an insight on, on what Britney's mind was like. You know what I mean? And God bless them all. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was the gambling thing. I hate those electronic machines, I, right? I don't like those electronic machines when you go to gamble. I like to go to the table. How about you? Well, uh, I mean, whatever people like to do is fine. But you're talking about video lottery terminals, right? Or slot machines, basically? Yeah. Like, I don't like the... Actually, you could do, like, roulette. They have, like, electronic roulette. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I uh, know. They have digital craps. They have digital Baccarat. Now, sometimes yeah, I'll go to a casino. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'd rather go and do it in person. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I always feel, even though they say they're just as heavily regulated, I always feel like those games are much more likely to be rigged in favor of the casino. And and again, I played them, and I was at Jake's 58. I played some electronics Baccarat, and I won a couple of bucks. But I I don't know. I would much rather play with real people. No doubt about it. I'm with you on that one, Lisa. All right, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we are talking about. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Smile. Go ahead, be 
This is Justin Timberlake sing, singing about uh, bringing sexy back. Uh, so I had hoped to play for you. I had uh, teased you with this with uh, Noam Layden on Friday with the uh, when he comes in in the fourth hour of the program. And uh, if you're not getting this program on Fridays or you're not getting the fourth hour, reach out to the station that you're listening to us on and tell them you want to hear it. And that really actually does make a huge difference. You can also just check out the podcast whenever you want at uh, redapplepodcastnetwork.com. Just search Frank Moreno or search The Other Side of Midnight. comes right up. You can search it on any podcast app as well. Just hit the subscribe button. You know, in fact, the other day, um, over the, I don't remember what it was, but on Friday apparently I said something that my wife didn't care for. So she's decided to stop listening, and she actually deleted her subscription to this podcast. So I have to now get a new podcast subscriber to make up for the fact that my wife, who was a daily podcast listener, is now cashing in her chips and throwing in the towel. So if you know someone that is not listening to this show in podcast form, encourage them to subscribe, please. But in any event, um, Noam was here, and he had told us this incredible story that Goldie Hawn, had, who's a wonderful actress and a, a beautiful woman, that she had opened up about the about a UFO sighting on the latest episode of the Apple Fitness Plus series, Time to Walk. And I had intended to play this for you and let you judge for yourself, but we cannot get the audio of this. We haven't been able to figure out how to get the audio. So if anybody has the audio of this, I would love to hear it firsthand, and then we'll play it for everybody else. So if you can access this somehow... It's not regular Apple TV, apparently. It's Apple Fitness Plus. I'll be honest with you. I don't even know what Apple Fitness Plus is. I don't know if that's something you pay for. I don't know if it's only something you can listen to while you work out or something along those lines. But if you're able to get this, Apple Fitness Plus, this Goldie Hawn conversation about aliens on Time to Walk, I am really eager to hear it. Basically, and not to repeat everything that I talked about with Noam on Friday about this, Goldie Hawn said she encountered aliens after a dance rehearsal as a young woman in the 60s. And I think it's interesting. Uh, Goldie Hawn strikes me as a very, very serious person, not somebody that would be delusional, not somebody that was prone to flights of fancy. But she said she encountered these extraterrestrial beings, but learned through books that others experienced similar phenomena. And then years later, she visited the University of Illinois Urbana, um, and she met with an astrophysicist who allowed her to tour the Milky Way in a virtual reality lab, and she got very emotional. And she said, I don't understand it, but I did have an experience once. That had to do with maybe being visited by someone. And so I would love to hear kind of how she describes the story, how she tells the story, but we have not been able to purloin the audio. So if you can get the audio, uh, please send it to us. Frank.Morano at RedAppleAudioNetworks.com. Frank.Morano at RedAppleAudioNetworks.com. Talking about also the situation with 
Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake. She has this new book out where she's accusing him of some very awful behavior, breaking up with her via text, cheating on her, and encouraging her to get an abortion. I think this is bad. I don't think it should be career-ending. I think after two decades, it's not right that we hold him responsible today for what he did in his early 20s, uh, personally. 800-848-9222. Frankie is in Highlands. Hello. Yeah, hi, Frank. How you doing? Um, number respect. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, Frankie. What's on your mind? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that um, Timberlake shouldn't be um, – shouldn't be really hurt uh, 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 with this. Um, I feel bad that there's extremists out there that that are sending his wife's messages and everything else. And it's so easy for uh, uh, somebody, just one person, to ruin somebody's uh, career or ruin somebody's reputation. Um, I had a very successful business going with a roofing company in 2015, and I hired an office, not an office manager, but an assistant to my office manager. And this this young lady came up here with the intention of of suing me or my company. Um, And uh, she I wound up firing her. She went up to the second floor into my bedroom and she uh, was in places I didn't uh, want her in. And my, um, my field manager actually uh, told me that she was upstairs and that was my private office up there. And, uh, um, and I live at the same place that my company is out of. And she, I fired her. um, And, um, uh, she had a check because she uh, and she had permission to cash checks or write. Right. Um, well, you know, um, Frank, I don't, I don't yeah. want, I don't want to necessarily relitigate you your whole situation here. But your look, point look, is real quick. Uh, bottom line, if you want, well, is that she tried to steal a thousand dollars, went to my bank with one of these checks, and she was caught red-handed uh, by the bank and me and the cops of this thousand dollars. She turned around all of a sudden. And I had to go and hire a, a, a lawyer for $1,000 because she was accusing me of doing something I never so, uh, did. Uh, Frankie, what, what, what does this have to do with Britney Spears? You're saying sometimes people just say things that aren't true. Yeah, but, I mean, um, in in the case of, of, of Timberlake, maybe that was true. I don't think that uh, – I, I don't think uh, generally that he – he will get hurt by this uh, in his gotcha. career. Well, thank you, Frank. I, I appreciate. It. I I I disagree. I I think he will be hurt by this. I think he's already been hurt reputationally to some extent by this. Look, um, and I think let's say he comes out tomorrow and says this isn't true. Then where do we go from there? Right. I mean, uh, let's say he says nothing. Then people are going to assume that he was guilty of this stuff. Let's say he did do this stuff. Does he come out and say, sorry? Maybe. You know, I know that was um, Ellen in the Facebook group had posted exactly that, that he should apologize if if he was responsible for this. So I don't know. Oh, by the way, I want to thank Ellen because she pointed out, I want to correct something we did on Friday's show. 
I mentioned the a person whose birthday it was, and I said that it was Whit Haley's birthday. Apparently, the proper pronunciation of that is Whit Halley. So it's Whit Halley. It was Whit Halley's birthday. So I apologize. Apologies to Whit Halley. We regret the error. I hope that did not hinder any of your birthday celebratory experiences over the weekend. Hope you had a good weekend. Um, Mine was quite busy. We had this softball tournament all day Saturday morning. Then Saturday night, we we had agreed to go to Marlena's uh, Halloween party, and she lives maybe about an hour from us, 45 minutes to an hour. And neither of us, honestly, were that eager to make a 45-minute trip and to put the effort into going into to a party where, honestly, we know two people, maybe three people. But I told my wife, I said, look, you know, we had committed to going the last three years. We got to go. We got to go. We got to make an appearance. And I said, we don't have to stay long. Let's stay an hour and a half, two hours at the most. And then vamos. Neither of us really wanted to put much effort into a costume. My wife was planning to be Little Red Riding Hood, but she couldn't find the uh, Little Red Riding Hood outfit that she you thought she had. So then early Saturday evening, it was such beautiful weather where we get into a vibe where all of our neighbors are now outside and everybody's having a glass of wine or a beer or whatever. And it's prime socializing. Like this is almost like what peak summer is like. Not too hot. Everyone's out. Everyone's catching up. Everyone's joking around. It's a fun time. And so now, honestly, we really don't want to go to this party because we're having such a good time just chilling out in front of, uh, you know, in front of everybody's house. But I still said, no, we got to go. We got to go and make at least an appearance. And um, Rachel said, all right, if I can somehow get a costume together, then I guess we'll go. And so my neighbor says, my neighbor Deborah says, oh, I have a Tinkerbell outfit that you can wear. I said, great. So she brings out this Tinkerbell outfit, and we get Carmine together because we were going to drop him off at my mom's. And she starts putting on this Tinkerbell outfit, and it looked great. I thought it looked very, very sexy, and she's, but also very realistic as Tinkerbell. And she starts saying how it's very itchy. She's itching. She's having a tough time with it. She's not comfortable with it, not crazy about it. She's trying to maneuver so it's a little less itchy, but... Then she sees the wings are broken, and she's not going to wear a Tinkerbell outfit without wings. So she ends up uh, taking that off and finding a like a I don't know, a visor that you would put on your head that has cat ears on it, and she went as a black cat. It was very minimalist. It was basically just that with some makeup on your on your face as a cat. And dressed in black. I, obviously, was Vincent Chin Giganti. And basically, I just wore a bathrobe and a kind of a newsboy cap. So that was my costume. Very comfortable. A lot of people didn't get it that that was my costume. Surprisingly enough, I didn't win any awards. I didn't even get a trophy like I got for the softball tournament earlier that day. But... um I brought with me 
a book that was written about Vincent Chin Giganti. Um, it was by uh, Larry McShane, who I've had on the Racket Report podcast, by the way. If you want to listen to that, uh, go to Red Apple Podcast Network. Just search Racket Report, comes right up. Or you could just search Racket Report on any podcast app, and you can hear my interview with Larry McShane all about the life and crimes of Vincent Chin Giganti. And honestly, I wanted a, a costume that had minimal effort and looked like it uh, – and, and was comfortable, which this one was, and I got to put it on quickly – so we go there, and it was a pretty fun party in that there was pretty good food, a lot of interesting people. They have a horror movie on in one of the rooms there, a lot of, uh, a lot of clever costumes. There was American Gladiators. There was all, you know, all John Fetterman, uh, a couple of Beetlejuices. Uh, one person was Britney Spears with knives, which was interesting. And they gave awards for the different prizes. I did not win an award, shockingly. And then um, we there was a psychic. They actually hired a psychic to be there. I'm not. I went for a psychic reading. I'm not allowed to disclose what was said to me, but they. Uh, but things are looking pretty good for me, and by extension, I think they're looking pretty good for you, as well. I am um, doing just fine, according to the psychic. But you know what? A lot of people, so in the softball tournament that we played for charity earlier that day, I laid out the money, the $350 entrance fee, and I told everyone, eh, just give me $20. So most people brought cash with them. They all gave me $20. So the only cash that I had on me at the party was 20s, which is no not that big of a deal. You go to the bartender, and I like to do this with bartenders anyway. I give them a 20 at the beginning of the night, so that they don't forget me. But ultimately, I only ended up getting two drinks from this bartender. So, But whatever, I don't mind tipping a bartender. But then the psychic gave me such a good reading, and you didn't have to pay, but she had a $5 bill in front of her. So somebody had given her a 5 or she wanted people to give her a 5 And so I feel like she gave me such a great reading. I should give her something. So let me give her the 20 And I, it was, again, she said, you don't have to pay. It's okay. No, no, please take it. So we stayed about two and a half hours, and then we chose to do the Irish exit. My plan was that there were a lot of people there. My only beef against it is there was one section which was way too loud. They had a DJ, and the music was just way, way too loud in the backyard area. But I guess people like that. They like to dance, whatever. I don't. But um, so we Irish exited hoping that people would just think we were there forever. We took some pictures so that, you know, we would create an impression. And then um, we our presence was noticed, our absence, rather, was noticed about a half hour after we left. So this was not the most effective Irish exit strategy, but it was a fun, it was a fun party. It's just exhausting. Yesterday, we had to go to my dad's and, uh, not had to, we wanted to, but we carved jack-o'-lanterns. You know, we did some pumpkin carving. It, and it's all fun things. Softball, Halloween party, pumpkin carving. It all just gets to be a bit much, you know? So I'm hoping next weekend, as of next weekend, we, we're going to a Diwali celebration on Saturday. And then on Sunday, as of now, we have nothing. So I am going to work the whole week to make sure that we have nothing planned for Sunday. Now, I'm sure I will be unsuccessful, but we'll see where it goes.
At least nothing off that involves driving an hour away. We'll see. All right, 800-848-9222. If you want to comment, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Shattered. This is a birthday bumper music selection by an old friend of mine, a guy I've worked with in radio for a long time, Darian Melito. I haven't seen Darian for a while because of the nature of how people work these days. But he does he's he does affiliate relations, meaning if you have a syndicated show, it's his job to communicate to all the local stations, try to get them to carry the show. If you have a problem. He's the guy that deals with it. And um, I think now the main show that he works on is the Mark Levin show, but he's done a lot of great syndicated shows over the years. And uh, happy birthday, Darian Melito. This was one of the songs he selected. So yesterday, my wife and I watched the series finale of the television show Billions and don't worry I am not going to uh I am not going to give any spoilers away nor allow uh Matt Blaze to give any spoilers away I will just say I thought this was a wonderful ending to a wonderful show I thought the way that the store that the show ended story-wise was very good it's set up so that if they wanted to have a spin-off there's six or seven different spin-off ideas that they could think of. But if that's it, then it's ended in an appropriate spot. I, there are so many things that came full circle if you've been watching the series all seven seasons. And if you were a fan of the show in its heyday, I think this episode really delivered everything that you expect in terms of the tradition of Billions. Wonderful story. You have to suspend disbelief for parts of it. Yeah, but it's... It's a television show. You have to suspend disbelief for Star Trek, too. But uh, I thought it was it was just there was so many moments that I felt that if you love this show that you really celebrated. There are just so many uh, throwbacks to earlier seasons of the show, which I think is uh, is great. And I um, m- my wife didn't love how it ended. She liked it. But she didn't love what 
how some of the characters came out ahead. Some of the people that she doesn't like ended up doing well. She she didn't like that. And she also didn't – she's had a problem with kind of the whole premise of a big part of this season. So, But even – she did like this episode, but she had some problems with some of the story. I didn't. I thought it was great. Did you see it, Matt Place? Of course. What did you think? I thought it was great. I, I like this season so much better than last season. Yeah, I thought it jumped the yeah. shark last season. Yeah. I didn't like it at all. I will agree. And if they would have another season, I'd love it. Or, well, or like uh, I said, if they, I mean, I know it's the end, but if they had a spinoff or something. Well, that's what they great. would do. That's what they would do, uh, a spinoff. And there's a lot of different ways to spin it off and focus on it, a lot of different things. So I suspect there will be. Now, I hope it's a fun spinoff, like um, Better Call Saul was for Breaking Bad. Not one of these lame spinoffs. We'll see. Until then, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am superstar Frank Moreno. In about a half hour, you are going to meet a man from St. Louis, KMOX land, who has been in prison for the better part of the last three decades. He's out now. We'll tell you what he's doing and what he did in order to keep his sanity when he was in prison. We'll get into that. Uh, I do have to ask the question, though. You know, in this studio, a couple hours before I'm on, literally, my friend Curtis Sliwa does one of the many radio shows that he does. And unbeknownst to me, during a commercial break during this program, he left his shoes in here. And he sends Kenneth (laughs) in to retrieve his shoes. Now, I could certainly understand taking your shoes off during the show. I do that sometimes. So, you you know, you got to keep things flowing. You know, you don't want your feet compressed or you know, whatever. You just sometimes you need to breathe a little bit. What I don't understand is once the show is over, why you would leave the studio with no shoes on your feet. I mean, don't you leave and then feel that you're walking directly on carpet Without any shoe to barrier. I mean, strikes me as very odd. And then to wait literally hours before sending someone to retrieve your shoes. And what's he been doing? All right. um, The shoe anecdote is... Oh, I dropped my mouse. Hang on. Drop my mouse. Got it. Drop my mouse. It's a uh, wireless mouse, so it does have a mind of its own. Uh, the shoe anecdote is uh, courtesy of the fact that uh, Kenneth was uh, a little late printing out my articles for this week's edition of Commendations. Come on, Kenny. And uh, he has really started to fall down on the job. I mean, honestly, 
if he keeps up this kind of behavior, I'm not sure how much longer he is going to last around here. But we'll see. Hopefully things will improve. But things are already improving for you because you are going to hear about uh, 10 entities that are going to be proud recipients of. The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. I must commend Tony's Baltimore Grill, which is not in Baltimore, but in Atlantic City. It's a great place. It's one of the only three places in Atlantic City that you should ever consider getting pizza. And this family from Maryland, oddly enough, isn't it interesting that they're from Maryland, they're visiting Atlantic City, and they would choose to visit a place called Tony's Baltimore Grill? They're, this family from Maryland avoided a vacation disaster thanks to employees at Tony's Baltimore Grill. They went in there to get some pizza, and they left $2,000 cash. Cash. The staff found it. They left this in a booth at a restaurant at, at uh, Tony's. The staff found it and turned it into the owner. The money was reportedly found by Muhammad Malik, a dishwasher at the restaurant, who then handed it to Tony's server, Pat Abernathy. After realizing the money had apparently been left behind by a patron, Abernathy surrendered it to a manager who locked it in a safe. The woman and her family returned to the restaurant after realizing Their vacation money that they brought with them from Maryland was missing. And after retracing their steps throughout Atlantic City, the family wound up back at Tony's Baltimore Grill where the money was waiting for them. Now, I'm so impressed with everybody involved here. This dishwasher, I don't know what he's making, but I would imagine he could use two grand cash. He could have just put this in his pocket. And when they came back looking for it, no. Could have put it in his pocket and not told anybody. The server, Miss Abernathy, I don't know what she's making. I'm sure she could use two grand cash. She could have put it in her pocket, not told anybody. Everyone, every step of the way here, as far as Tony's, did the right thing uh, by getting this money. And as a reward for their honesty, Malik and Abernathy were each given the choice of redeeming $1,000 or a week's paid vacation from Tony's management. So I love this. I love Tony's in general. It's been around for about 100 years. But I love that this is the kind of culture that they have there, where they teach their employees to do the right thing, and they reward them. Even though, I mean, what did they stand to gain by reuniting this family with their cash? And yet, they still were willing to give them either a grand or a week's paid vacation. I love it. I just, I think it's great. So, Tony's Baltimore Grill, I do commend you. I'm looking forward to planning an Atlantic City trip soon, and hopefully I'll come in there and see you. I want to commend rapper Missy Elliott. She has donated $50,000 to help uh, 26 families with past due rent in her hometown. I love this. And they're celebrating in her hometown Missy Elliott Day. And uh, Missy Elliott donated 50 grand 
to residents of the Portsmouth Housing Society. And these 26 families that were behind in their rent, Missy Elliott, made their day, to say the least. Okay, I want to commend a cancer survivor who delivered her one millionth meal to patients battling breast cancer. I think this is just terrific. Absolutely terrific. So, um, Heather, Heather Salazar, once she survived cancer, she wanted to help other people with, with cancer, especially breast cancer. And she has taken to delivering meals. And now, this many years later, believe it's six years later, she has delivered, no, more than that, 18 years later. And um, she has delivered one million meals to cancer patients. I think that's just great. And it's a great way to channel your appreciation for beating something that's very difficult to beat into something that's productive and that I'm sure a lot of other people appreciate. I want to commend Reese and Lon Davis. They are a father and son who have launched a business creating custom Halloween costumes for children in walkers and wheelchairs. To me, this is what it's all about. You find a a group of people that's in need, and you help them. You find a product that is a demand for a product that's not being filled. And I hope these guys make a lot of money because I am reading these stories of people, children, that have to be in a wheelchair, and they've never really gotten to celebrate a proper Halloween. And these guys... design a whole custom Halloween costume. I think it's great. Now, Reese Davis was born with stage 4 neuroblastoma, which is a rare cancer in young children, and the tumor in his neck crushed his spinal cord. And thankfully, it's been in remission since his first birthday, but Reese got his first wheelchair at three years old, the same year he started preschool. But the other kids in his class didn't know how to interact with him in his chair, and they stayed away. And for the school's Halloween parade, Reese wanted to dress up as the Pixar robot Wally, but there weren't any pre-made, accessibly designed costumes available. So Reese and Lon realized they'd have to make their own with one requirement from the adamant little boy. He told me, this is his father speaking, he told me that, you know, you can't just make a costume for me. It has to go around my wheelchair because my wheelchair is part of me. And the father says it kind of stuck in my head for a while that he thought of himself as one with a chair. And now Reese and Lon have launched this whole big business, well, a small business, but this whole business designed to service these people. It's great. All right. Uh, Taylor Swift, you'll be happy to know, is now a billionaire. Uh, The 33-year-old pop star, thanks to this era's tour, this has pushed her net worth to $1.1 billion. And people may say, what's the big deal? Uh, Somebody that's 
that was already wealthy and already famous is now more wealthy and more famous. Not only uh, does my wife love Taylor Swift's music, and I and you know I'm happy that one of my wife's favorites is doing well, but I really think so highly of anybody that is a totally self-made billionaire, which Taylor Swift has now become. To be a billion to to get to become a billionaire under any circumstances is incredibly rare. But to do it through being successful, working hard, building yourself up, not through inheriting it from somebody else. I really I really think I'm so impressed by anybody that's able to be a self-made billionaire. And she did this through her own talent, her own hard work, her own intelligence. I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful, and uh, I'm happy for her. And honestly, all the other self-made billionaires out there. I realize that um, patting the back of billionaires is not exactly a fashionable thing these days. You have a lot of people like uh, Bernie Sanders that want to go after millionaires and billionaires. But I think it's an impressive thing to be a billionaire. And to earn it, I give her credit. I want to commend the Lawrence sisters. The Lawrence sisters are six sisters that grew up homeless on the streets of New York. And uh, Queens is where they're from. All six of them grew up homeless, and they're becoming nurses together. They've spent these last 10 years homeless, and yet they've refused to let their ordeal stop them from pursuing their dream of becoming nurses. And now they have done it. They've, at 24 years old, the one of them is, they talk about how challenging this was, but their bond kept them going. Their goal kept them they're going. And now all six of them became nurses together. So they range in age from 19 to 25 years old. And uh, they've completed the master's program at um, SUNY. And this is just wonderful. I think this is... A wonderful story how no matter what you go through, if you've set your mind to something, you can do it. All right, I want to commend Stephen Pruitt. I have my problems with Wikipedia, but I recognize that without the volunteers that spend a lot of time editing the articles on Wikipedia, that a lot of what's on there would be just total garbage. And honestly, I like Wikipedia, even though that they don't allow me to have a page. But without people spending their time editing these articles, creating these articles, it would just be nothing. And Stephen Pruitt has made 5.7 million edits to Wikipedia articles. He is Wikipedia's most prolific editor. Charter, C-H-A-R-T-R. Looked at the numbers behind the sites, 6.7 million English language articles. And in the last month, 122,500 users out of the sites, hundreds of millions have made edits, 881 of whom are administrators. 
because volunteer editors routinely check articles for accuracy. Some media experts claim Wikipedia may be one of the most reliable sources of info around. I'm not going to go that far, but it's certainly a long way from where it was 10 years ago. Still has a long way to go. There's still no Frank Morano page, but I appreciate the work that people like Stephen Pruitt are doing. I want to commend the Chaudhry brothers, these Midwest brothers, have set a Guinness World Record for creating the largest grilled cheese sandwich. They set a new grilled cheese sandwich world record of 10.9 feet in length and 6.25 feet wide. The sandwich also was also 2.75 inches thick. I wonder how this tastes. They used the publicity for the event to raise money for local food banks in the area. Now, that's great. Great, great cause. Great achievement. Wonderful. All right. I want to commend the Southside Hardware Store on Highland Boulevard in Great Kills in my neighborhood. This is a store that has been around for 100 years, since 1923. It is the last so-called mom-and-pop hardware store in my borough. And this week it is closing after 100 years. I try to patronize this hardware store whenever I can. It's a great hardware store, but the uh, gentleman that's that owns it, who I think took it over from his father in the 60s, he's just ready to hang him up and retire. And now, if you want to go to a hardware store in my home borough, you're going to have to go to either Lowe's or Home Depot. So if you want to pop in this week and wish Jay the best at Southside Hardware, it's on Highland Boulevard. Tell him you appreciate him being such an integral part of the community for so many years. These are the stores that are the fabric of our society. These are the stores that sponsor baseball teams, that uh, give to local charities, that uh, help people out, that get to know people. It's not the big box chain stores. And I hate to see uh, this store close. I'm going to miss it. I really am. I'm very sad about this. But hopefully it turns into be a good situation. I want to commend Khalil Souza's house cleaner. Who's Khalil Souza? Khalil Souza is a Massachusetts man who is $1 million richer after he says his house cleaner found a winning scratch-off ticket hidden inside a vase in his home. Khalil Souza chose the cash option on his $15 million moneymaker instant ticket game prize and received a one-time payment of $650,000. Souza told the lottery that he purchased the ticket a few months ago, but only recently discovered it was a big winner when his house cleaner found the ticket in a, in a vase and presented it to him. He said he plans to use some of the winnings to help a friend and to donate some to charity. I wonder if he's going to give any to the house cleaner. I would hope so. All right. That concludes this week's list of commendations. We're going to talk with a gentleman who's got a fascinating life story in about 10 minutes Bobby Bostic, looking forward to that conversation very much. But uh, first, let me take a couple of quick calls here, if we can. 800-848-9222. Alex is in New Jersey. Hi, Alex. Alex! How you doing, bro? 
Alex, what's on your mind? Uh, no, nothing's on my mind. So I listen to your show. It, it goes blank, absolutely blank. I want to commend you for putting me to sleep. And, and I thank you so much for your show. And it's awesome. I turn you in every night and I'm uh, fast. Listen, my pillow, my slippers, my sheets, whatever, they don't work. You know, um, your show absolutely works. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Alex. I appreciate that. You got to do us a favor. I love you. I love love you too, man. You got to do us a favor. (laughs) Tell any of your friends that have difficulty sleeping to tune us in, uh, and we will help them out oh, as well. No, no, I just, I just tell them your name, and and they absolutely <laughs> fall asleep. Absolutely, like instant, instant. I love you it. know, just like yeah, instantly. Like I, I mention your name, it's like this is like magic. Everybody falls asleep. I love it, Alex. Thank you, uh, thank you. Hey, well, however you're listening, or you know, whatever, however we're being talked about, I appreciate it, even if we are putting you to sleep. Uh, you know what? All, all kidding aside. I am uh, I'm grateful to anybody that listens to us to fall asleep. You know why? Because these are the most intimate moments of your life that you would never share with anybody, right? You know, you think you're it's a time where you're vulnerable, you're alone maybe, and you're going to share drip, that moment with me? Drip, drip. I love it. Okay, 800-848-9222. We're going to talk with Bobby Bostic in just a moment. 27 years in prison. How do you get there? What do you do in there? And how do you get out? We'll explore it straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is Nirvana singing In Bloom, a birthday bumper music selection from Darian Melito. Happy birthday, Darian. All right. Bobby Bostic has led and continues to lead a very fascinating life. When he was 18 years old, 18 years old. Not even old enough to drink. In the state of Missouri, he was sentenced to 241 years in prison. It's a lot of years. 241 years. Well, he's not in prison now, and that is one element of his fascinating, fascinating story. Very pleased uh, to welcome Bobby Bostic, a writer who... Previously served 27 years in prison before getting out. 
Fairly recently, within the last year. Bobby, uh, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. I appreciate you getting up early or staying up late. It's a blessing to be here. Uh, I'm staying up late. I love it, Bobby. I love it. All right. Hey, Bobby, first things first, most important, we're heard right now on uh, KMOX in St. Louis. Do you say Missouri or Missouri? Bobby? Yep. A little bit of both. Both. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the easiest question you're going to get. So, uh, so uh, that's it's good to warm up with that one. All right. Now, Bobby, um, explain to folks. I know um, you, when, when you were a teenager, 1995, you were involved uh, with a crime with another another young man, a friend of yours. Briefly, if you can. Uh, tell folks what happened. How did you wind up in prison? Okay, uh, the day I got locked up, December 12, 1995, was a typical day of us drinking, getting high in the neighborhood uh, that we was living in. And that particular day, we was getting high, and um, a girl that was with us was threatened by somebody else, and we went and got guns to defend her. And in the process of that, nothing happened with the guys, but we saw those robbery victims. Before we put the guns out, robbed them, and I went to trial. And long story short, I got those 241 years. So, in essence, so you and your friend, you you robbed people at gunpoint, and what was reported is that you, you know, briefly detained a woman in in her car. You were 16 at the time. Your your friend was uh was 18. Is that about right? Bobby? Uh, yeah. Yes. I, was I was just reflecting on the question because it's something to really think about if I just give a, a flat out answer, but to answer that question um it's just at that stage, I was in a state of discovery, and now I'm discovering life from an intellectual point of view. Whereas at 16, I was just I was living an empty life. So the more you talk to somebody uh, over a year period of time, like while I was paying rent at that house for two years, I didn't mature versus who I was when I first started renting the house. Gotcha. Understood. Yeah, well, that's been one of our themes today is how much people uh, do change as they grow up or how much they can change. And that's great. Now, you mentioned your decision to go to trial. One of the things that I've covered a great deal is the pressure that the system places on people to take a plea. Um, You went to trial. You got found guilty. You were sentenced to 241 years by uh, a judge and not eligible to, for parole until you were 112 years old. How did your friend do? I know he didn't end up going to trial. How did he do? Well, he did uh, right into the, to his demise. He did. He had took a 30-year plea uh, months before I even thought about court. Uh, he, he didn't take it. He just pled guilty and he ended up giving him 22 years, but I said he did 19 hours ago. So uh, he got 30 years in prison 
for um, the same crime that you got 241 years in prison because you went to trial for a crime that you committed when you were 16 years of of age. Yep. Another word. Sorry, what, what, what did you say? No, I said, in other words, uh, you can make a mistake at that age and some things ain't no coming back from. Right. Well, and that's one of the the issues that I've raised with the the trial tax, right? I mean, if um, you, you – I can understand giving people a little bit of a break if they take the plea. The difference of 30 years versus 241 years uh, I think is uh, a little a little extreme. How was your time in prison, Bobby? You spent, obviously, a lot of key years of your adulthood in prison. Um, How did you find it? Almost three decades behind bars. I imagine it wasn't too pleasant. Describe it for us. I think, uh, I think, I don't know, it's like a, we all got to get to a point in life where we want to discover other things, and sometimes they don't. Well, for me, it didn't come through marijuana or TV and all that. I had to look within. So, more of the books I read, the more I decided to change my life. So, prison for you was actually kind of a positive experience because you got to do some personal development. No, it was a good place to learn and grow, but. Prison is never in the same place because I'm like 20 minutes from home. So even though I wasn't, even though I was a few minutes from home, being in a cage makes you appreciate life more, but not appreciate what you got to go through through life. Now, it was very interesting because while you were locked up, your case became kind of a, a national news story. There were over 100 current and former judges, prosecutors, and law enforcement officers saying that uh, people who commit a crime when they're teenagers, when they're minors, shouldn't be sent to prison for for life. Uh, people like uh, Ken Starr, Sally Yates, a lot of other very prominent names in the legal community, they all said that you should be eligible for parole and they uh, actually changed the law about two years ago, allowing you to apply for, you know, apply for the law, uh, apply, apply for parole. Tell me, Bobby, about the movement to get you out of prison. How did that start and uh, what did you make of that movement? Uh, the movement started because uh, more people see injustice they wanted to do something about it. And instead of just talking about it, they moving more people in action. Like, okay, what can we do today to get them out? And after next week, and now that, let's just keep the grants going. I get them out of prison. And then they, they don't become your competition. And then they become your, the contract question here. Bobby, and I won't keep you too long because I know it's late and I'll let you get some sleep, but there's two aspects of what you're doing that I want to focus on. But immediately, a lot of people listening to this show, whether in St. Louis, New York, Baltimore, Alaska, Tennessee, Nevada, they're all Florida, whatever the case may be, they're all going to say the same thing. Look, you know, 
what, there are a lot of people that play by the rules of society, and they always do the right thing. They volunteer, they work, they pay their taxes, they serve jury duty. Why should folks have any sympathy at all for people who commit a crime and then because they committed a crime end up going to prison? Talk to those people, Bobby. Why should the so-called Good Samaritans listening to us care about the plight of anyone in prison? I don't know. It's um, the way God made some people. We're we going to empathize with any human beings, whether they're rich or poor. Uh, whatever they're going through in life, it's an order to teach. you got to learn how to have that, that emotions to be able to tune in to what other people are going through. And for him, he experienced that, but he also spends a lot of getting away because he himself sees places. So. You know, Bobby, I'll be honest. I'm having a, a little bit of uh, difficulty making out what you, you're saying, but uh, let me let me just ask you about what you're doing. Let me ask you about what you're doing now since being released from prison over the course of the last uh, over the last year. Tell me about this uh, this charity that you've launched to keep people from going to prison. Okay, charity is a five one c three. Can you hear me clear? By going to freebobbybostic dot com. No, if you want to learn more about me, my story, you can just uh, go to minediamonds dot net. Minediamonds dot net. Yep. And as well, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Free Bobby Bossy. Got it. All right, Bobby. Um, I appreciate you joining us. Get some sleep. Uh, okay. Uh, appreciate all the listeners, man. And I uh, hope you can get inspired by my story because um, you can get to anything that you want to in life. You just got to keep striving, and once you find your niche and passion in life and your purpose, please live it because that's part of your purpose on earth. And um, please be inspired by my story and take it and do something with your life to accomplish your goals and dreams that you may have forgotten or or put to the side. And, uh, Bobby, the other thing I was very struck by is uh, I I know you're out on parole now, but you've shared the – healing power of writing in juvenile detention centers. And I know uh, we have a lot of people who might be in prison or jail locked up right now. Why should they care about writing? What can writing do for them? Writing can help them. Writing is a healing property. It's also a motivator. It's, it answers questions for you because when you write stuff, you're not just writing in the vacuum. You're writing, trying to discover a way into something, trying to discover fun in life. In the same way, when we hit the club, we trying to meet fun people, fun situations. And sometimes it's not meant for us to go on those type of journeys. And like tonight, I'm doing a lot of more constructive talking to you all and putting a plan out there to help people than I will versus just hanging out at a club all night. Well, I think that's great. I think that's great, Bobby. Uh, Bobby, keep in touch. Keep us posted on what you're up to. 
Okay, I uh, appreciate it, and hopefully uh, I can come back on and listen, talk to the listeners. Uh, thank you all for listening to my story. And from St. Louis to New York, let's just stay connected and keep doing the positive work. There you go. There you go. Well said, uh, Bobby. St. Louis to New York. There's not a lot of people that you're going to meet that are sentenced to 241 years in prison and are able to breathe free air again. So uh, I think it's a, certainly a, a unique story to tell. Uh, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we have talked about thus far. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Change in the weather, I feel a change in me. The days are getting shorter and the birds begin to leave. Even me, yes, yes, y'all, who has been so long alone. I'm headed home, headed home. This is Homecoming by Josh Ritter, dedicated to all of you that are driving home right now. But uh, this was so- featured in the last episode of Billions. And it had been featured on the show before and both times, both in the episode that I watched this weekend and in the uh, last episode that it was used in, it was bo- used brilliantly. I mean, I don't know. How they manage such an effective use of matching music and very emotional scenes and then find a way to make this song play in uh, both of those is really just a well done. I can't say enough good things about Billions. All right, we're going to dedicate our uh, last segment as well to Alex in New Jersey. We were worried that you might have gotten a little too aroused by needing to call the radio show and we needed to do something to put you back to sleep. So we figured we'd do something a little bit more 
soft-spoken. But in all seriousness, I think Bobby has a a fascinating story. But I don't know if it was a late hour or a, a tough phone connection. But it was uh, it was difficult to make out a lot of the things that he was saying. So I'm not sure how much value there necessarily was for you. I mean, maybe that's one of those instances that's a a story better read than spoken. So maybe that that's on me. So be it. 800-848-9222. Uh, 800-848-9222. You know what I'm surprised by? I think it was uh, Jeff Schilling had never heard the term Irish exit when I used it before. I I thought Irish exit was a pretty commonly understood term, but I guess it's not because Jeff's a bright guy. The, the basis of an Irish exit is you when you leave, rather than do a whole tour of saying, hey, goodbye, goodbye, Fred, goodbye, Joe, oh, Oh, I'll see you. Oh, okay. Oh, let's get together. No, 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 no. I got to run. You just leave. You just leave. And the benefit of the Irish exit is you save an enormous amount of time saying goodbye. Now, the Italian exit is you spend an hour saying goodbye. You greet every single person, including people you've never met before. You give them not only a, a, a verbal goodbye, not only a handshake, but a hug, not only a hug, but a kiss. You tell them you can't wait to see them again, even if it's somebody you just met. And that's the Italian exit. The Irish exit is, I don't know how it got that way. I didn't name the term but that's uh, that's what it is. Matt Blaze, that's, I think, a fairly – I would have assumed that that was a more commonly understood term. Yeah. We were both surprised by that post, huh. Ken and I, because we saw it too. And we're like, how do you not know that? And we, we knew it as Irish goodbye. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, they're but interchangeable. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, I see you wearing a Jets uh, shirt today. Was that to support the, the team in their of course. come from behind victory against the Giants? Yeah, it was a sloppy game, though. Uh, yeah, but well, they, they still pulled out the win. Honestly, ne- neither team is is very good. Uh, uh, but what can you do? All right, uh, you know what was a surprise to us? I was as surprised as uh, Matt Blaze was about the lack of Irish goodbye information out there. But we, um, you know, tomorrow's Halloween, and I like Halloween. It's a lot of fun, and we're excited to take Carmine trick-or-treating. So we got him a costume. We got him Elmo. He really likes Elmo. You know, we don't we don't let him watch that much television, but we watch him. We let him watch a little in the morning and a little in the evening after his bath. Uh, sometimes a day like Sunday where it was just all this rain, we'll let him watch a little bit more. And, and there's a few shows that he likes. He likes Coco Melon. That's where JJ comes from. He likes um, Baby Einstein. He likes Sesame Street, especially Elmo. And he likes the uh, the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. He just got into that. And, you know, it's so cute. And, again, I don't like to encourage television. But he – the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse begins – it's a cartoon. And it's a cartoon Mickey Mouse – and it starts with Mickey Mouse coming on screen and saying to the viewer, Hi, it's Mickey Mouse. Do you want to come in my clubhouse? And Karma, and I get, maybe nobody cares about this. I just, I get such a kick out of this. He answers back to the screen. 
And usually he gets really excited. He has a big grin on his face and he'll he'll say, yes, yes, or yeah, yeah. But sometimes, yesterday it was raining, so we let him watch two. He still says yes if it's the second episode, but he's a little less excited. He thinks Mickey Mouse is waiting for his return or his response. And uh, Mickey Mouse will say, do you want to come in my clubhouse? And Carmine will say, yeah. So uh, I, I get a big kick out of it. So anyway, we thought he would enjoy being Elmo for Halloween. And my we went to my dad's yesterday to carve pumpkins. And my stepmother said, oh, that would be nice if he wore his costume and we could see him in his costume. So we said, sure. All right, we'll put him in his costume. It's, you know, it's great. He won't. He's going to see all of his uh his uncles on my side and his aunt on my side. Why not, you know, let them all see him in his costume. So we've had this costume for two weeks, but this is the first time that we put it on him. We put the costume on and this is a, a costume that's, it's a big costume. I don't remember the size, but it's appropriate for his age. And we put it on. He doesn't fit in it. He doesn't fit in this costume. It's way too small. Can't even close it. And again, this is, he's not even two yet. And this is, I think, I forget what size it is, but it's meant to be for someone between two and three. And it's, he's too tall and he doesn't fit. So we weren't able to wear his costume. So now today, as soon as we both wake up, he wakes up from his nap and I wake up from my slumber in the afternoon around the same time, we're going to go to, the Halloween store and try to find a costume that fits him that is at least decent because the day before Halloween, our fear is that a lot of the good costumes are going to have been purloined. So we'll see where we'll see where that goes. Hoping for the best that is for sure. 800-848-9222. Two things. Uh, well, three things I'll bring to your attention. One, there were five fishermen who were 400 miles from shore. And they had to keep their head above water for hours. After a shark that they caught took a bite out of their inflatable dinghy, once rescued, they slept the entire ride home. Now, I feel bad, kind of, that these guys had to, you know, tread water for hours. Um, And this is off the coast of uh, Western Australia, by the way. But on the one hand, I'm saying good for the shark. They're catching this shark. The shark's going to die. He's going to be a a shark fin soup somewhere. I don't blame the shark for trying to do whatever it takes to get out of there, including biting that dinghy. So I I don't know what became of the shark, but let that be a lesson to you. That you, you're you going to go shark hunting or shark fishing. I don't know if it's they call it shark hunting or shark fishing. I would think it's shark hunting because you're not really a fish. And you, uh, you're going to try and get a shark? Well, that shark's not going down without a fight. 
I think that is good advice indeed. All right, 800-848-9222. One thing, we were talking about the presidential race. One thing that I did want to mention is they had Arnold Schwarzenegger on Meet the Press yesterday with Christian Welker. And um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, he's trying to get publicity. He's selling a book. He's got this documentary out. But so he's out there. He's going on a lot of shows. Maybe we'll try and get him on this show. But he is a Republican. He's been a Republican since he's been an American citizen. But he's very much an anti-Trump Republican, which is ironic because you remember he took over The Apprentice when Trump had to step away from that. But anyway, he's not a Trump fan. So I guess a lot of people are wondering who he's going to vote for. Well, in his interview with Meet the Press yesterday, it did seem like he gave Kristen Welker a bit of a, a clue. I think that Joe Manchin is one of them that I think stands out because he's kind of like a center guy. He comes from an energy state, but he's a Democrat, so he knows the challenges uh, and, and all that. So, But he's one of the guys that I think is really a, a great force. So there you have it. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger saying uh, Joe Manchin might be his guy. We'll see. Oh, I, I wanted to play this. Uh, this is Lance Bass, who uh, I, I didn't see this before. Thank you, Kenneth. Lance Bass, who was a member of NSYNC, telling a TMZ reporter that fans should forgive Justin Timberlake the way Britney Spears has. Hey, a lot of the fans have been like coming at JT for various things in the book. Oh, yeah. Do you think that's fair or unfair? Look, I mean, everyone has their own opinion. I just feel like the world is so full of hate right now that we need to practice a little forgiveness. Yeah. Britney did. So let's take a note from her. Yeah, I mean, she didn't even seem that, like, upset with him, but the fans have decided that they are upset. They're trying to cancel. Yeah, exactly. and th- Look, everyone deserves to tell their story. She did, and, you know, I hope the fans can, again, find some forgiveness. I don't know what kind of forgiveness that is when you write a book laying out all the stuff out there. So if uh, they're expecting a, uh, a forgiveness for... Um, the fans, the the way Britney Spears has, I'm not so sure that's the way. I'm not so sure that's the way to go. All right, uh, those of you that are holding, we'll get to you. Three open lines if you want to comment on anything we're talking about. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. It is Halloween, and some parents are trying to micromanage Halloween. We'll tell you what that means, and a wide variety of other things to get to. Until next hour. Your influence counts. You might as well use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
Good morrow, everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Tomorrow is Halloween. I enjoy Halloween. Halloween's a lot of fun. It's, um, I think it's especially fun if you're a child. Uh, and, um, you know, if you're an adult and you have no children, eh, I don't know. I don't know that I would do much of a big thing. To me, I like to... I really like horror movies, as we uh, explored during our horror movie panel on uh, Friday the 13th. That's kind of my speed. I like to stay home, watch a horror movie, and give candy to the trick-or-treaters. That's it. You know, when I was more in the uh, young and uh, going out all the time stage, you know, it would be kind of fun. There were some good parties. But it's honestly, even when I was in the young going out stage, it was not really me. But. Once you have a child, it's really a whole different dimension. It's a lot of fun. It's fun to uh, have him uh, ring neighbors' doorbells. It's fun to show his costume off to people that, um, you know, the people that, that would want to see it. It's it's great. It's great. It's a, He gets a big kick out of the candy and things like that. He's been practicing saying trick-or-treat, and it's great to see his development and his gradual increased understanding of how Halloween works because initially he thought basically it was begging for food. So he kept just saying, practicing by saying, please. And then he now I think realizes hopefully that you have to say trick or treat. So we'll see where this goes. But um, there was an interesting article in the New York times about five days ago by Jessica Gross who I I love a lot of her work. She had what I thought was a phenomenal piece. She's the former parenting editor there, and she's still, I guess, an occasional columnist. She's written books. Very, very interesting woman. And, well, her writing's interesting. I don't know what she's like. But she is begging parents to stop micromanaging Halloween. That's the headline. Stop micromanaging Halloween Let your kids be free. And look, we have seen this trend ever since parents started checking their children's Halloween candy for tampering back when I was a child. Do you know how many children have been poisoned by a stranger's candy in all that time? Zero. Zero. Over the decades, the meddling has gotten much more intense. So there's, um, she writes, and honestly, I have to be honest, I didn't know about this at all. Do you know what the switch witch is? Well, Jessica Gross writes about something called the switch witch that she started hearing about a few years ago. Have you heard of this? If you're not hip to this, which I was not. She is the Halloween cousin of that narc, the elf on the shelf, which is a symbol of the combination of child surveillance and endless materialism that dictates so much of American parenting these days. So the switch witch works like this. Your child goes out trick-or-treating 
collecting as much candy as he or she can fit in a bucket. You let your kid pick out a small sample of that, you know, of that haul, maybe five pieces, and then overnight, the rest is replaced by some kind of present, maybe a toy. Apparently, you can't just tell your children to limit their candy intake if that's important to you. You have to buy them something else and then surreptitiously swap it in and come up with a backstory about it as well. Oh, my God. Goodness, that sounds terrible. So, um, I mean, the Switch Witch lets the kids choose a few pieces of candy and you swap it out for a, a copies of, uh, I don't know, something else. Um, but it seems like every holiday, and I'm reading from this Times piece, which I'm going to link to. It's really, I'm really good. It, it's, I thought it was really well written. If you want to read it, go to uh, facebook.com. Slash Morano fan. That's facebook.com slash Morano fan. And if you don't have a time subscription or a friend's password that has a time subscription, just go to archive.ph. I'm so, I've repeated this before, and yet I keep posting these articles and people keep saying, paywall, paywall. Go to archive.ph. You can paste the article in there and read it for free. It's really incredible. I'm waiting for them to catch on and put a stop to this. But anyway, Um, It seems like every holiday, even the ones that are supposed to have a heavy component of unsupervised mischief, it's dominated by increasingly baroque and expensive parent-led rituals. Because it's not just the switch witch. It's booing your friends and neighbors, creating gift bags that you leave on their doorsteps with instructions that they must boo other people. I'm sure there are other trends that I don't even know about yet, but this is some of them. So Gross quotes a Washington Post columnist who wondered, when did Halloween turn into a week-long extravaganza with elaborate homemade costumes, multiple parties and parades all chaperoned by parents? When did most of childhood become adult chaperones? And then Gross tells us exactly where this excess of assistance, intervention, and supervision lands us. And uh, at the feet of Dr. Peter Gray and the recent Journal of Pediatrics article that he authored outlining how a lack of independence is making kids anxious and depressed. And it's been happening for decades. And look, we've covered this. With Lenore Skenazy from Let Grow. And I think she's right on the money. And I think Jessica Gross is right on the money. She writes, 60 years ago, children were allowed to do much more on their own from a young age. They walked or biked to school in elementary school. They were allowed to babysit or have paper routes by 11 or 12. There was less homework and youth sports hadn't quite morphed into today's youth sports industrial complex. So kids had more fun, had more unstructured time to be outside and make their own fun away from adults. The pediatrics author, Dr. Gray, theorized that a lack of independent activities negatively affects a child's internal locus of control. Internal LOC, locus of control, 
refers to a person's tendency to believe they have control over their life and can solve problems as they arise. In contrast to external LOC, which is a tendency to believe their experiences are ruled by circumstances beyond their control. They explain, when children aren't allowed to do things on their own, they may have a weaker internal LOC, and that is highly predictive of certain levels of anxiety and depression. So there's a logic here that I think makes perfect sense, and I think people should understand this, which is that you're taking away the opportunity for kids to have control over what they're doing because you're always controlling them. They're always in school or they're in school-like activities or they're at home and not allowed to go out and do things on their own. You know, my son, our son is only two, and my wife let him play in the backyard by himself yesterday. And I think I thought that was great. You know, we kept the windows open so we could hear what he was up to. And if he wanted something, he would call to us. And obviously, he's very familiar with the backyard. We've played with him back there a million times. But we're in the house. The gate's locked, right? And uh, I thought it was just a wonderful get way to get started with independence. And I'm very proud that my son likes to do things on his own. Now, we're not going to let him go trick-or-treating on his own at 2. But by the time he's 7, 8, 9, you better believe we will. So, um, Halloween... I think is an opportunity for parents to be to intentionally teach their children to look both ways before crossing the street, not to search for razor blades in Reese's peanut butter cups, because cars are the biggest threat on Halloween, not strangers and not razor blades. And once they're seven, eight, or nine, they can do that activity that's the most thrilling thing in their young lives. You can be adults for one night. Dress up and go to work, cold calling on neighbors for candy. It's the one night we let kids have a little taste of independence. And if you keep taking that away, the switch witch will swap out anxiety. It'll swap out happiness for anxiety. So I uh, I really enjoyed this piece in the New York Times. Resist, stop managing, uh, stop micromanaging Halloween. Let your kids be free. Read it when you can. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. 800-848-9222. Also on the Halloween front, uh, well, maybe I'll save this for tomorrow. It was a, a lot of people have been holding. I'll, I want to get to as many as we can here, and then I'll I'll save this anecdote for tomorrow. What I will mention is, you know what Halloween Central is? Won't be a surprise to you. Salem, Massachusetts, three centuries ago. And Bill O'Reilly deals with this in his new book, Killing the the, uh, Witches. Three centuries ago, hysteria swept through this town and residents accused about 200 people of witchcraft. And this month, local resentment towards witches is brewing again. How many tourists do you think come to Salem, Massachusetts in October? Matt Blaze, any idea? Uh, 10,000. Okay, that would be a lot. Okay. Right? Yeah, it right. would be. So, uh, Kenneth, any any idea? What would you say? 15K. Okay. One million 
tourists, okay? One million tourists, many of them sporting pointy black hats, layers of mascara, and long capes dressed as witches. They course through the city's historic downtown. They visit the cemeteries. They visit the haunted houses. They visit the witch museums. And you know what? You'd think they'd love this because all the money that they're coming bringing with them. The, the residents hate it. Sidewalks are jammed. Traffic is choked. The line at Dunkin' Donuts, for instance, runs 20 people deep. Wall Street Journal had a front-page article on this this weekend. Bree Chisholm is a social worker who's lived in Salem her whole life. She said, it's hellish. Last night we walked a half mile in the pouring rain with our groceries in brown paper bags because we couldn't park anywhere. And even the mayor, um, Dominic Panjalo, three weeks ago was telling people how they should come to Salem. Take the train, take the ferry, come by bike, come by broom, but try not to come by car if you can avoid it. And sure enough, not a lot of people, not enough people anyway, have heeded his warning because these people, these hordes, have injected millions of dollars into the local economy. Homes rent out for $2,000 a night, not a week, a night. Hotels are booked up a year in advance. The head of the uh, local tourism board scolded her high school-age son when he spent $300 on an eight-foot Sasquatch costume. So far this fall, he has made more than $1,000 posing with tourists. Can you imagine? It's someone dressed up as Sasquatch. It's not the real Sasquatch. And people pay him to take a photo. The lines for restaurants, museums, gift shops, they've been building since August. And last weekend, these lines stretched for blocks. You have knots of tourists clustered every hundred feet around street performers who were dressed as headless horsemen or one-armed pirates or ten-foot ghosts. On the one hand, I think this would be really fun. On the other hand, it just sounds awful. I cannot forget about it. this. Is Matt Blaze is getting nightmares not about the witches but about the people. Um, this sounds really rough. And uh, I really, my, I, my heart goes out to the people that live in this town and see it invaded every fall. But I, uh, I get, I guess, I guess I understand why people view this town as such an attraction. So, uh, 800-848-9222, Uh, Jeff is in Queens. Hello, Jeff. Hey, Frank. Um, yeah, of course, the tourists, uh, me, me uh, that's a double-sided coin because it means millions of dollars for the town. They're very, very happy, while, of course, the lines are outrageous and we are unhappy. But let, let's not de-emphasize the money, okay? Well, no, I said it's yeah, millions no, of dollars, I know, I know. yeah. 
Right. And um, the, on the on the whole Salem Mass, on the whole burning witches at the stake thing, the whole that whole um, what happened 300 years ago. I I was saying for the last 25 years to myself. I'm now 66. I say, you know, whenever I get mad at like uh, Laura Ingram or someone, I say, you know, 300 years ago, Jeff, she would have burned you, and you're, you know, she she, she, she had the power to burn you. Now she only, only has the power to complain on on on, on the TV. Okay. Well, but uh, you, you're saying Laura uh, would have been the witch. Yeah. No. 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 As a fundamentalist Christian, uh, no. No. She had the power to enforce her. Her rigid oh, I uh, belief see. I got system. you. I got you. Right. Got you. She, she would have worked yeah. everybody up right. into a frenzy to burn the other. Right. Got it. Okay. Right. Now on the, on the parent helicopter helicopter parenting. I thank you for that uh, name of that author. The New York Times. I, I look forward to reading her. Of course, that's true. I, I, at my age, I, I luckily I, I skipped that. Um, being I, my parents gave me more freedom, but I will say. The, the uh, it, whether it was poison candy or that that was fascinating. You said there have been zero incidents of poison. I didn't, but you know what? What, what there have been, Frank, and what ruined America was the abduction of children. That is where that's when parents, I think, became crazy in their overprotective helicoptering because you know that is that that number is is not zero, Frank. I don't know what it is, but the people's children. I bet it's a bigger number than we think. It's a significant number. You know, uh, th- well, that is true, Jeff. But unfortunately, it's very rare. Uh, Jeff hung up. It's very rare that it's a stranger that does the abducting. So that's kind of what we have in our head. Oh, I have to keep an eye on my child at all times because he's going to get abducted by a stranger. And the truth is the the overwhelming majority of abductions in this country are from someone that child knows. Sometimes it's a family member, sometimes it's a, a neighbor or somebody in the neighborhood. And a lot of times that person the child knows can con that child into going with them, whereas a stranger has a much more difficult time. 800-848-9222. Original Rick is in Original Jersey. Hi. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. 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 Uh, anyway, a question about you had once spoken about how Rachel didn't like my scary movies. That's true. Yes. All right. Now, now what are we talking about? Because scary is scary. I, I personally can't stand slasher movies and stuff. But, like, would... And, and I can understand even Dracula and Frankenstein. No, she'll, she'll, she'll watch the... The black and white um, kind of universal monster movies. She can handle those. Oh, okay. How about, how about something real like, like The Blob or Killer Clowns of Outer Space? Because they're kind of made to be funny and scary. Maybe you can slip her in on that, you know? I will. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to ask. I'm not sure if she's seen The Blob. I don't think so. Uh, but it's a good question. You know, thank you. You know, I, you know what I'd love to watch tomorrow? The Ghost of Frankenstein where you have the monster played by Lon Chaney Jr. for the first time and Igor played by Bella Lugosi where they're chased out of time. It's a great movie, out of town. And last year I watched The Son of Frankenstein, which was fun. And the next movie in the series is The Ghost of Frankenstein. But unfortunately, I can't watch it without paying because Netflix has discontinued their DVD Mail service. 
had we still had this, I could have just had the DVD sent to my house and enjoyed it. But I don't know of any streaming platform out of the five that I have, Netflix, Peacock, uh, it's more than that, Apple TV, Amazon Prime, uh, Hulu, I, I must have seven, Paramount Plus, and um, we even have Disney now. So Carmichael watch Mickey Mouse uh, Clubhouse. But out of the seven or eight streaming platforms that I have, none let you watch The Ghost of Frankenstein for free. I'd love to do kind of a double feature of, uh, well, I don't know. I don't. I doubt I'll even have time to do one. But it would be so nice to watch The Ghost of Frankenstein and then Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. They say it's going to rain today. So maybe that would have been an activity for us today. But we're going to spend most of our day going for Halloween costumes. But it's immaterial anyway because I don't see it anywhere on streaming. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Tom is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hi, Tom. Yeah, hi, Frank. Hi, I'd like to say that one time Halloween was connected with Thanksgiving. Did you know that? No. It was, uh, it was on the same day, and then somewhere along the line, it ch- it uh, changed to another day. Yeah. Uh, when when was that? When did they change that? Uh, a good many years ago, maybe 1930 sometime, I think. But, it was, but that's the way Halloween used to be. It used to be connected with Thanksgiving. I'd like to say, too, that uh, the uh, the where Thanksgiving's concerned, the American Indians and the pilgrims are missing out because they should uh, see if they can get together and at least have a Thanksgiving meal with each other. Uh, the Indians are very uh, bitter, the tribes up there. But in other words, they're not looking at the big picture where they can make a good buck. And they should have maybe a uh, a parade of uh, pilgrims and Indians marching through the town. Uh, It would would be a good idea. You know, know, financially. Yeah, no, I mean, you're saying they could benefit in Plymouth Colony, Plymouth Rock, the same way that uh, Salem is benefiting from Halloween. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know what they do, if anything, to um, to hone in on that history, but that's not the worst idea I've heard, Tom. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Jay is in Cincinnati. Hi, Jay. Hey, Frank, you refer to the Biden and Trump debacle as a race. Let's make it a real race. 880-yard dash around a cinder track, bicycle around the White House 10 times. Swim across the reflecting pool ten times. May the best geezer win. But what would that prove? Well, you call it a race. It's 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 a joke. I mean, all right. Tr- okay. Trump 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 has the, the fastest mouth in the West. I mean, the East. We know that. All right. Well, thanks, Jay. Yeah. I mean, I guess I know you're trying to be funny. I just I'm not laughing. Not not really funny. Funny is a joke. You know. Short story with a humorous climax, maybe a pun. Guy walks into a bar. Ouch. Boom. See, that's funny. But, um, yeah, I don't know that we... It was interesting that Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's obviously so into physical fitness, said he'd like a centrist independent candidate like a Joe Manchin. I think it's going to be, if it is a Biden-Trump race, I was t- I've was. i been talking to more and more people about this. 
they are going to explore third-party options. A lot of people. A lot of people. I don't know if that's Robert Kennedy. I don't know if that's the no-labels person. I don't know if it's Cornell West or somebody else. But I think it's going to be very interesting. All right, 800-848-9222. Also, you want to join our Facebook group uh, by going on Facebook and searching Morano. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio. Fans and haters. That's Morano Fans and Haters. Uh, This is the last thing I'll say on the Halloween front. So I saw we were at my dad's for pumpkin carving and dinner yesterday. So I saw my brother Nicholas and his wife Kat. First time I saw Kat since her mom passed away. She seemed to be doing okay. And we're talking, I guess they're going to a Halloween party later this week. And Kat mentions that she wants to go, she's considering going as Sue Ellen Mischke, the candy bar heiress from Seinfeld that just walks around with a bra. And she's describing her outfit. It would be just like a a halter. I don't know what she said, but she'd have the jacket and then presumably something that looked like a bra and maybe an O. Henry candy bar wrapper. And then uh, my brother Nick, who is a Ph.D., who went as Dr. Pepper to his Halloween party over the weekend where he had a lab coat and a pepper mill, which I thought was pretty clever. He said, well, you know, if she's going to go as Sue Ellen Mischke, maybe I'll go as Jerry Seinfeld. Because he could kind of pull off a Jerry. He's, um, you know, he's tall, he's thin, um, got darkish hair. And he's saying, maybe I could do this and maybe I could do that and go for a Jerry. I said, well, why don't you go as Pinter? Pinter was the groom that Sue Ellen Mischke was going to marry in the Backwards episode. And I was going to try and find some um, some audio of Pinter. The, he has almost no lines in that episode. And the lines that he does have are totally inconsequential. His parents have a nice scene in that episode, and so do a number of other people. But um, I think that... Um, I think that... Uh, that would be a great costume. Have him decked out in Indian garb, and he's going out with Sue Ellen Mischke. And Nick said, oh, no, I can't do that. I said, why not? He said, well, I can't wear dark face or brown face. I said, okay, yeah, I know that's a, an issue now ever since uh, Megyn Kelly said that, and even, even Joy Behar wasn't into doing that anymore. So why can't you just wear Indian garb Without brown face. And he said, no, I think I'm going to get, I would get canceled. And I thought that is so, such a shame um, to not wear a perfectly relevant costume because you're worried that people are going to get upset because you're infringing on a culture that's not yours. I mean, it's a costume. It's a costume. 800-848-9222. Kenny in Florida may have some very important information for us. We're listening. We're uh, airing now, by the way, on uh, Florida Man Radio in Fort Walton Beach. Really, really pleased to be on that station. Great lineup, which we're thrilled to be a part of. Hey there, Kenny. Hey, I heard your little dilemma about not being able to see Ghost of Frankenstein. Yeah, tell me. Okay. There is an application you can buy it or not buy it. It's free. You can download it. It's called BTV, B-E-E-T-V. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's on the Android app. So it's an APK. 
So you can put in, um, it's free, it's a free app, and you can locate any kind of movie, TV show, things like that, and stream it for free. I sell IPTV service here in Florida, and I offer people 9,000 channels for $20 a month. And I offer BTV, Cinema HD, and Cyberflix, all part of the deal. But those are all free. But so, so how, if BTV is free, how does, and it's legal? Well, that's another question. Uh, some say yes, some say, some say no. But, you know, it's all, all on how you look at it. They've been, they've been um, taken down by... Uh, what's it called, the American Cinema Board or whatever. And it was ruled legal. So it's all on who you look at. Yeah, thank you, Kenny. I, I get, you know what? I don't even jaywalk. I'll be honest. I am friends with so many criminals and so many, uh, you know, unsavory characters and so many shady people that I guarantee, and I'm so critical of prosecutors and the Department of Justice and other DAs. So I try to, uh, kind of like Caesar's wife, l- l- live my life as a paragon of lawfulness and virtue. Because I know as soon as there's an opportunity to get me jammed up with something, that these people that I'm going after all the time absolutely would. So I, I, even if there's even a question about legality, I'm going to hold off on that. All right. Uh, Noam Layden is here. He has no problem doing anything illegal. He'll give us some of the highlights of his illegal lifestyle straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Find My Way Home by Blind Faith, also a part of the last episode of Billions. Ironic that they would include the songs both Can't Find My Way Home and Homecoming in that particular episode. If you watch the episode, perhaps you will detect a hidden meaning behind those two songs. Meantime, there's no hidden meaning behind what's in the news. Let's hear about it. Stand by for the other side of Midnight's News. From New York City, the other side of Midnight. 
Stories and its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. No, Frank, uh, 46.4% of Americans are single. You surprised oh. to hear that number? Um, I don't know. Am I? I think I think I I I think I am. Well, when you say single, is that unmarried or uncoupled? Um, I would say uncoupled, not unmarried. Okay, I I could see that being what I around what I would have thought. I yeah. would assume it's about half. I mean, maybe we would call them lucky. Those. <laughs> There's another reason for Rachel not to listen to the show. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, okay. She likes you. You're her favorite oh, part of the well, show at this just point. that moment, probably. Yeah, exactly. yeah, so. Uh, so dollar for dollar, you would think in the end it might be cheaper to be in a one-person household. After all, there's like one mouth to feed. Right, of course. Uh, the household essentials at home. You only need right. space for one person. Yeah. But um, uh, intensive study was done. And when you add it all up, maintaining a single-person household doesn't cost exactly what it would for a two-person household. And that's why uh, some people call it the singles tax. It costs more to be on your own than it would for you to share costs with a partner. So they actually took this study and they found the one state that has the most average cost of any state in the nation. And that was South Carolina. Mm. So uh, in South Carolina... When you add up uh, food necessities as food, housing, medical care, transportation, and more, um, this study done by MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, they found that a single-person household over a year would cost about $29,000. A two-person household would cost $47,000, right? So it's not exactly half. And so when you put all that together... It costs you about average, if you're in South Carolina, and I imagine the number would fluctuate state to state, about $6,000 more a year to be single. Wow. Yeah. I, I would never have guessed that. Does this only apply if your partner is splitting the bills evenly with you? Yeah, well, and it, the, right. The key is, is that both people are working, right? And so the biggest factor in this study won't be surprising either, is housing, because housing's become so expensive, it doesn't really matter right. where you live across the country. If you have two people paying into your housing, obviously you save money there. And so when you think in the most expensive cities in the country, renting a studio apartment here in New York City, oh, the starting it. is $3,500 a month. So if you're splitting with that or with somebody, obviously already your prices and right. costs go down. So the suggestion in this study is even if you're single, um, you should take somebody into your home as a <laughs> Roommate, which is a as long odd. as they're willing to split the bills. Yeah, okay. split the bills and everything like that. But six thousand dollars more a year—that's a lot. Uh, no doubt, that's, that's a real single uh, tax. Oh, absolutely. Of course, the downside of the other side is you're married. <laughs> <laughs> so, Wait, it sounds like you had a rough weekend. Yeah. My, you know, it's so funny. I heard you on the way and say that Rachel's no longer listening to the show. And I was thinking to myself, my wife stopped listening like a decade there ago. There you go. Yeah, there you so, go. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. And that was one of the high points of our week. Oh, weekend. Was. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> yes. That's, the, that's the, you know, the upside, downside of being married. You know, not the every best part's is, great. So she, she, is, she does not love me sharing a lot of personal details about right. our relationship. But I kind of win her over by explaining that you know we, we, we it helps pay our mortgage that right. we could do this. So 
she, we, um, you know, my son has kind of a unique name, even for a neighborhood that is, uh, you know, mostly Italian American. So we're at the playground, the three of us on Friday. And, um, so she calls to him, she says, Hey, Carmine, you know, put that ball back with her. And there's a, a fella playing with his grandson. He's pitching him wiffle ball or something. And we're kind of talking to them. Carmine's running up to him. He's trying to play with him. And they're, you know, being polite enough and indulging him and being kind of friendly. And I guess he hears this young man being called Carmine. And he says to me, wait a minute, is your name Frank? And, uh, and yeah, I said, yeah. He says, well, I listen to you. You keep me up all night. I listen to you every day. And he said, that's Rachel? And uh, and I said, yeah, that's Rachel. So Rachel comes over and she said, uh, and this guy says to her, to me, he says, oh, so you're playing softball tomorrow? Oh, my I God. Said, I said, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and he turns to my wife and says, and you're upset about it. And that's <laughs> wow. all she needed to hear. That's, that's all. And she said, once we're at the point where total strangers know yeah. exactly what she's upset about, that was uh, that was a pretty good way. You can imagine how the rest of the afternoon yeah. went. My know? my story too was I would share too much on the air as well, and that would just drive her crazy because it would get back to her. And the one thing that really and it got her in trouble was she was the chief uh, publicist for CBS at the time, and so she would know who was getting kicked off the Survivor when it was enormously oh, popular boy. in the early seasons because they would fly in the night before. And I would go on the air the next day and give away who was on the plane. Oh. So that got her in well, trouble. Well, you shouldn't be doing well, that. Well, she never told me not to. And so I couldn't help myself. Here I was in New York, and I knew who was getting kicked off Survivor, and I would give it away. Oh, that, so, that's really... Yeah, it was awful. That's terrible. It was early did on. You we least, survived that, though. Did you at least say spoiler alert or something? Uh, no, I'm not even talking about your relationship. It's terrible that you would do that to the fans. Yeah. You're, you're hindering yeah, their enjoyment you know, of the show. Look, not every great every moment on the air is great. That's, and, <laughs> and how. And uh, so, uh, Did you see this? That former uh, basketball star, Magic Johnson, is now officially a billionaire. From wow. Forbes, you know, comes out with its annual list of the billionaires. He's one of the newest ones on there. He's only one of four athletes who are on there. Michael uh, Jordan, LeBron James, Tiger Woods are the other three. No surprise there. But the interesting thing about um, Magic Johnson was during his career, uh, I'll say he only, but he made only $40 million, which, of course, is an enormous amount of money. But he's been incredibly smart in his business move since leaving. The only bad decision he made was early on, he was offered uh, shares in Nike and to go be a spokesman for Nike. And instead, he took a $100,000 offer from Converse at the time. Ah. And he said, look, I didn't come from a family that knew anything about money or how to handle money. And so I took that offer. But that might be one of the few bad offers he made uh, or or took on. Uh, some of the companies he's been involved in since he left basketball was um, he has part ownership in a couple of uh, baseball and basketball teams. Uh, his biggest uh, stake, though, is in a life insurance company, and that's where most of his wealth has come from. Really? That's what I was going to ask. Is how, how do you turn $40 million in earnings to into a billion dollars? That's yeah. tough. Yeah, he took a big stake in a life insurance company. It has paid off in a huge way. He also um, – it's called Equitrust. Um, it's a big company. He has investments in Starbucks, Burger King, 24-hour fitness. But the life insurance company is where he's made most of his cash. God bless him. Yeah. Wow. And uh, finally, you got time for one more? Absolutely. So Red Lobster has a thing where you can go in and it's all-you-can-eat shrimp. Really? Yeah. Okay. Where it's uh, 20 bucks. 
for all-you-can-eat oh, shrimp boy. and red lobster. So uh, that seems like a pretty good deal. So this woman goes in. Her name's Rachel, not your wife. And she tries to figure out how much – this is something I would try to figure out as well. How much shrimp do I need to eat? Right, to where, break even. Or, or I'm now ripping off red lobster, right? right? Gotcha. Where they've lost out. And so she does this in extensive study because I guess apparently she has a lot of time on her hands. And she realizes she goes, she figures out what shrimp costs by the pound. And then she figures out what is red lobster paying for shrimp per pound because they're probably getting a better deal because right. they buy so much of it. So in the end – uh, she realizes that if you want to beat that $20 um, all-you-can-eat shrimp buffet at Red Lobster, when you go into Red Lobster, you would have to, in the end, eat 10 pounds of it. Oh, well, who's beating that? Nobody. <laughs> yeah. 10 pounds of lobster would get you past that $20 oh, mark. Okay. Well, that's, yeah. that sounds painful that's to even try to get lobster. there. That's like – and they keep – the way it works is you finish a bowl and they'll bring another bowl and, you know, it's not well, no, shrimp, not lobster. Oh, did I say lobster? Yeah. Uh, I meant – but yeah. So shrimp will keep coming at you from red lobster until you do decide to get pushed away from the table. We don't have any word that anybody's been able to do 10 pounds. I'm sure there's someone out there who has. Uh, now, are, are any of your children still at the point where they dress up for Halloween? Uh, you know, now it's for parties, right? Right, so, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's the phase that they're in. Yeah. Do they all do that? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what they're going as. I haven't okay. seen their costume right. yet. Well, but... just curious. All right. You're not anything, right? No, last year I came as Curtis Slewa. I don't know if you, you weren't here, but I dressed up in First of all, his... yes, I was here. Were you here that day? Yeah. Well, right, unless it was a weekend. Would, oh. would it have been... no. I had to wear, you know, I wore his red satin jacket, his hat. And the back of my jacket had listed all the names of his ex-wives. Oh, and quotes that's funny. From them. I don't remember no. seeing that. No. I don't know why. No. All right. Very good. Yeah. All right, Noam. Thank you for your service. Sure. And now you know the rest of the story. All right. A uh, lot of people uh, eager to comment. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame in uh, just a bit. If you want to start queuing up, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. You know, I was talking about the um, being at my dad's for the pumpkin carving yesterday and I'm always pushing my family and friends for story ideas. And my stepmother said, well, you know, I, we went to the library and you remember the story of the, the old lady who swallowed a fly, you you know, it, right? Uh, you know, there was an old lady who swallowed a fly. I don't know why she swallowed a fly. Perhaps she'll die. It was an old lady who swallowed a spider that wriggled and jiggled and tickled inside her. You know, she swallowed the spider to catch the fly. Then she swallowed the bird to catch the spider. You know, it's fun. It's a fun thing. So my uh, stepmother says that she they have this new version. This is all I needed to hear. I, I, I thought this was going to be... 40 minutes of my show. A new version? What? A new woke PC version of the old lady that swallowed a fly? What? No, well, apparently there's, they read, um, lady, there's a lady who swallowed some leaves and maybe she'll sneeze. I said, that's crazy. They can't change the words to this 80-year-old nursery rhyme. But apparently um, it's a book. There's a whole separate book that's been out for about 10 years by Lucille Calandro. 
and it's called There Was an Old Lady Who Swallowed Some Leaves. And, um, you know, that's, this is what it there sounds like. There was an old lady who swallowed some leaves. I don't know why she swallowed those leaves. Perhaps she'll sneeze. So the book's 13 years old, and it's apparently been out there for a while. So it's not as if this is some modern, you know, it, it's some newfound way of making everything politically correct. So I, all of a sudden... I thought it was a much less much less of a big deal, but I was really outraged for there for a few minutes because they took him to the library, and they did I guess a story time, and they someone starts reading instead of the lady who swallowed a fly, they start reading there was an old lady who swallowed some leaves. Maybe she'll sneeze, but my outrage diminished fairly quickly. Fifteen seconds of fame in a moment. If you have anything that you would like to say in fifteen seconds or less. Be sure to do so. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at midnight with Frank Morano. The other side of midnight. Uh, coming up tomorrow, it's Halloween, so I'm going to try and plan some fun stuff. The, I, uh, I have a Rod Serling biographer that's going to join us to tell us about the man who created the Twilight Zone and Night Gallery and more, uh, along with some other fun things that I think are going to be really interesting. But first, let me give you a chance to speak for 15 seconds, 800-848-9222. We have fewer phone lines now, so if you get a busy signal, just call right back as part of... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Mike. Morning, Frank. How come witches don't have children? I give up. Because they can't get pregnant because their husbands have Halloweeners. Oh! Larry. Frank, I called. I have blockbuster news that I want to break on your show today. Fox doesn't have it yet. CNN doesn't have it yet. It's going to be an explosion this afternoon. One political candidate is going to get on the air and make an announcement. And I want to share it with you. I have the inside information, Frank. And I am so excited, so excited to bring it to you. E. Frank. Happy Halloween, everyone out there. And I send my blessings to the New York Jets. Doesn't Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu know better than to throw tanks 
at poor, ignorant uh, Hamas leaders. Angel. Good motto. Sid is a... Ray. Frank, I went to my stepmother Camille's house for her birthday, and we celebrated four birthdays, and I took your advice, and I bought ice cream cake with anisette cookies. It went over great. Thanks. Wonderful. Rusty. Yeah. Imagine if Sid Rosenberg, Peter King, and Anthony Weiner weren't trick-or-treating. They'd scare the hell out of anybody without no mask on. Charles. Good morning, Frank. For your information, in my last 52 years of marriage, I haven't regretted one year. 1982. Roy. Curtis is a cuckoo bird. Last weekend when I called up saying I had enough of him, you talking about him, I mean, he talking about you, he said I was one of your mob buddies. Well, I'm out in the mob. Lisa. <laughs> that was funny. Who well, you know that Mama Luke and the Dada Vader? <laughs> Indeed, Lisa. All right, Lisa, we're going to give you the last word. Thank you. Back tomorrow on a special Halloween edition of The Other Side of Midnight. Until then, Frank Morano, good day. <laughs>